0: Hey folks, welcome to episode 160 of the Becoming Human podcast. This week's episode features Joshua Cedar Larson. He's a whitewater guide of over eight years, a conservationist, and an accomplished class five uh, whitewater kayaker. Josh spends his year paddling rivers and rafts and kayaks and guiding for um, triad river tours. From his perspective, he sees the river change over time with high resolution. He sees beyond the superficial nature of the landscape, and has an intimate knowledge of its contents. He notices when leaves change colors, which trees are first to turn, the shades of the leaves in transition. The changes in the river go beyond how they look, or the dangers of flooding and property damage. New rocks, wood, or change in river volume creates a different experience in traveling down the river, providing new opportunities for challenges, excitement, or greater ease. And The sense of hazard gives a different meaning to attention, focus, and a sense of responsibility. As opposed to feeling inconvenienced when things go afoul. There is this this other pressure or element to consider, and it shapes your relationship to the people around you and um, your attention. The nature of the guide is intimate and educational. Josh takes the array of people down rivers, managing hazards and their clients' experience. It's a unique thing to see so many kinds of archetypes on display during an intense moment, a moment that commands presence, a moment that commands vulnerability. You can find uh Joshua on Instagram at Joshua Cedar without any further ado. here's
1: the river without knowing how to swim and eventually we'll we'll to keep the water under our chins. Sometimes this so cold to be in my soul, solidifying my skin regardless of how far I see I never see my travels in we're carried by the current, being driven by the wind, the scenery we pass, we'll never see again so we store it up as memories and don't let go of them, we're under a spell, thinking that the river should go straight, we set goals and desire to control our own fate, but all the pain we experience is a result of our expectations, cause it's the river's nature to twist and turn, the shit can burn, and I know it, I have this ain't conflict, but I try to sit and flow with this river's natural process Sometimes, when I watch myself flow downstream I see the beauty of it all, and it feels like a dream And at that time, I appreciate the river's course Some call it God, reality, momentum, of force. I stare up at the naked moon as she stares down at me Outside thoughts' boundaries, I'm all I look outward to see The universe is not something separate from yourself I know you feel alone, but that's why I'm here to help I know you feel alone, but just look up at the stars And everything that is out there is what you really are I got to go out
0: on a cool experience with you uh, with Triad River Tours guided on the Skagit. That was a lot of
2: fun. Yeah, it was great having you out there. How long have you been a river guide for? I've been a professional river guide for about nine years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. What um, what made you want to get into guiding on rivers? Um, I... So I grew up, uh, like, whitewater kayaking, uh, and uh, it's funny, I lived in uh, West Virginia when I was in, like, middle school, Mm -hmm. and I'd spend my summers at uh, rafting companies for summer camp. They would have summer camps for kids, yeah. and, um, yeah, so I kind of... Just got kind of like, was hanging around the rafting companies as a kid, and then... Did they just take
0: you down different, all these different rivers throughout the summer and yeah, stuff? Yeah, you wow. it's,
2: you'd go, for, it's like a week-long thing, but I would just kind of go all summer. And like, really? Yeah. Was that,
0: were you, like, one of the few kids who just, like, latched onto uh, it?
2: Yeah, I would just ride my bike there in the morning from my house, and <laughs> my parents would go to work, and ride my bike over there, and Oh! Like,
0: were they, like, uh, trying to teach you or anything, yeah. or was it
2: always just taking you along? Yeah, no, they were definitely teaching me, and, um... Um, yeah, you know, I, in college, you know, obviously just needed a job during the summers and um, found Triad, who was a, a new company at the time. And uh, yeah, I've been working with them ever since. So.
0: Whoa, that's cool, <laughs> man. What, what in your, um, so it sounds like you had like a really intense uh, outdoor recreation, you know, childhood. Um, were
2: your parents, <clears throat> did they influence that at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my parents were uh, for the National Park Service. Uh, so they're career park service employees. And so we moved around a lot as a, growing up, you know, a lot of really beautiful areas throughout the United States. And, um, my dad ski patrolled my whole life. So I grew up skiing and, you know, he got it. My grandpa got him into kayaking at a young age as well. So I kind of always grew up skiing and on the river. And, uh, yeah. So, um, did you do any other kind of
0: sports when you were, uh, or recreation, sp- recreation things <laughs> when you were younger? Or were those the two things that were like present in your family and in your own self?
2: Um, yeah, I did. I actually, I used to climb a lot more when I was younger with my parents, kind of before I started getting into whitewater, mm-hmm. actually. Um, yeah, climbing and mountain biking and skiing and paddling. and So it sounds know. like
0: paddling, though, like w- whitewater is something that really. Inspired you out of all of those things.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I yeah, really love being on the river, and uh, you know, there's beautiful rivers all around the world, and uh, I, yeah, you just, you can learn a lot from from just being on the water, and a really different way to see the world. How did that inform your childhood? Having
0: a a passion like that um, in the community
2: uh how did it form my childhood
0: yeah um like, what was it like like what'd you like what, what'd you dream about you know what did you look forward to Like, what was
2: meaningful to you yeah just like looking forward to going on river trips as a kid you know especially because my dad got really got me into paddling so it was a really cool way to kind of connect with him too
0: did you ever have any um challenging or like intense experiences on the water with your dad growing up? Um... Not even uh, just literally, could even be emotionally, I suppose. But. Uh,
2: you know, I... Yeah, when I was pretty young getting into it, I think he wanted it a little more than I did, you know, and was mm-hmm. like pushing me and then sometimes I didn't really want to be there, you know? Uh, <laughs> like, I feel you, yeah. It was a like, uh...
0: That's how I am top down. Tw- yeah. <laughs> I think about that a lot to my son. Uh-huh you know and there's it's odd because there's some things that are like good to do even if you don't want to do them like here's one thing if you don't like to do like cardio Mm -hmm. get your heart rate up you got to kind of do that but like uh, maybe i'll like put like a five out of ten in terms of you know effort in terms of my son where it's like you got to kind of do that because if you don't there's like obvious health consequences and there is like it feels good (laughs) But, so I get into this thing where like I know how it feels, and I remember what it was like before I practiced it routinely. Yeah. And it didn't feel good. And then it started to feel good. Mm-hmm. So how do I – but that might just be my experience, or that might be the human experience. So when mm-hmm. I talk to my son, I try to figure out where that line is, and it's very difficult. Um, but it seems like kids are really flexible.
2: yeah. You still raft and as a you know I guess as a kid too you don't understand how certain things are valuable in mm-hmm. life and you you, know, you just always want to do what you want to do yeah and sometimes obviously you gotta just do what you need to do and even if you don't like it very much you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: so have you have you had to do that with your own
0: self as an adult even
2: um yeah I mean there's there's always things you just kind of have to you have to get done you know like uh, like doing the dishes, Yeah, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta do your dishes <laughs> have you ever had a, <laughs> have you ever had a hard time with that,
0: and has anything that you've done for fun or any kind of sport helped you with that
2: um honestly, yeah, being on the on the river helps a lot, like if you're you know go through through times in life that maybe them have a hard time or not being very focused and then. You know, kind of notice, like, oh, like, I uh, haven't been paddling in a while or something, you know. And then you could go out on the water and it kind of helps recenter yourself in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like it,
0: that played a, a role in, like, helping you cope with, like, a lot of big feelings when you were a kid? Or was that just something that you did for fun?
2: Uh, it was uh, more just for fun as mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm.
0: I think now I see them more as coping skills and like things that um, help stabilize me mm-hmm. and like a conceptual even without thinking about it more I like conceptualize it a little more it means something to me I guess um, when I was a kid I don't think I could even understand that right you know
2: yeah you don't I don't think you really notice how it's affecting your life as much when when you're young mm-hmm.
0: that's where I think guiding is really interesting mm-hmm. because. How much control of the experience do you take when you're a guide?
2: I mean, you're kind of facilitating the whole experience for people, you know, so mm-hmm. very much it's dependent on you as a guide. It's like, you know, if you're not having a good time, guests aren't having a good time, you know, and they completely feed off your energy. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're there to, like, show them this experience. and Yeah, it very much depends on you as the guide.
0: How much do you adjust, how much you um, you control the experience based off of the person you're working with or the group you're working with?
2: Uh, yeah, it's very dependent on who you're with, you know, because some people are interested in certain things. Maybe you talk about, you know, some people are interested in natural history or, you know, some, some people just also don't even care. They just talk to themselves and, you know, you can try to chime in give them like info sometimes but you know they're just there to be with each other so, and, you know some people are really want to be there for the white water some people especially now after like the pandemic you know this kind of a lot of the first times some of these families or friends have been together or gone out outdoors in you know, a year or two now so um yeah some people want different things and you kind of have to like pick up on that and kind of Give them what they want. Yeah. You
0: know? How hard is it to get out of your own way in those experiences?
2: Um, it was you know, learning how to guide is definitely harder. Um, I think it's better for me because I don't like I don't guide for my own like personal thrill or anything. Like, you, you know, know like or... if I wanna go paddle hard white water, go whatever, get some adrenaline rush, like I could I have other ways to do that. I'm not like out guiding to like fulfill that need for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what? But some people do. I think you know. But, Is, um, so it's very much like you know, I'm there for the people, not for myself.
0: Do you see that more as like a, a style um, or a a boundary that um, some people don't don't see as necessary sometimes?
2: Um, I think it's a yeah, definitely a necessary boundary. You know, you you have to have your own outlets for those kinds
0: of things. I think about that a lot in terms of my relationship with my son, but that's really a metaphor for my relationship to people. Whenever yeah. I'm sharing something that I, that, that I either know or an experience that I'm familiar enough with to help people, to help support people in. And oftentimes I have to remind myself to make it not about me and my experience with it, so that I can shift the focus on them and their experience with mm. it and how to support them. And like a lot of things happened to me in teaching that I realized that a lot of it, like my ego would be entangled in it. You know, if they're having a good time, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person, I'm doing the things I need to be or whatever, if they're successful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if they're paying attention, whatever it is. And I realized that I'm just trying to facilitate an experience. Yeah. And I had to learn how to gauge how good I'm doing at that, mm-hmm. and that was very interesting because I never really thought about it like that until I taught something, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and it's a lot different than when I'm doing the thing, because like if I'm you know doing yoga or doing jujitsu or whatever, um, I'm thinking about how I'm doing and how I'm performing. Whereas when I'm teaching, my whenever I'm thinking about how I'm doing and how I'm performing. Very like specifically onto my own self, right? Not directing my attention. How are they doing? How are they performing? Mm-hmm. Then I'm I'm fucking up. I'm yeah. you know I'm misstepping. I'm not being there for them, and I'm now I'm all lost in my in head.
2: Yeah, in yeah. a different headspace. Yeah, I think that's pretty the same on the river as a guide. For sure.
0: When's the first time that you started to teach? Like even without outside of a professional standpoint, when you just started to you know, share a skill set with someone and they asked you to, to show them something?
2: Um, um, Probably when I started getting into guiding. Mm-hmm. Really. Um, but also I think it took a little little while, I think, before I kind of had that same shift as well. Because at first, you know, I, I came from my kayaking background, but, you know, I was pretty new to guiding mm-hmm. itself. And so I think it took a couple of years before I was able to like take that shift away from like my learning how to do it for myself instead of like then being able to like flip it around and actually mm-hmm. like, help facilitate that for people you know because as a new guide it's a lot of like it's all new experience you mm-hmm.
0: know and like being that being familiar with that um it's like not referring to outside information, right? Like to be able to tell them information and and uh, have all that information within, like naturally, right?
2: Yeah, and yeah, not just you know reciting info from whatever books or the internet and giving people stats and all that. It's like you know people can tell when you're just yeah reading off a list of exact <laughs> facts, you that, know? and that's what it's I mean. Like it has like... to be like very natural and true and like, you know, be passionate about what you're telling people, mm-hmm. you know, they can tell if you're just reading off a list of 10 facts. Yeah. Yeah. Plus what the hell are you there for that, you know what yeah. I mean, like
0: not even like you're you not providing them, your service, it's just like, yeah, it's <laughs> like the the people there, like that must not be fun from your pers- that person's perspective either, mm-hmm. you know, to be doing that. Um, did that change though? How you looked at yourself, how you viewed other people? Cause that seemed, for me, it just seemed like I've never um, had information like internalized, you know, where I didn't have to like that, you know, hand a pamphlet or read something and then tell them. Mm-hmm. I like I just I knew it. I was so practiced in it that I could tell you it,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and and that changed a lot of
2: my identity, I guess. Yeah, not really. But... No, for sure. I mean, before I started guiding, like I was much more of like shy person i didn't really like talking to people a lot and uh i've gained like a lot of you kind know, people's skills and communication skills over the years from guiding and you know i've always like i've always been interested in you know environmental science and history like i studied environmental science in school and, uh, so all that kind of comes more naturally for me because i'm just like genuinely interested in it you know um and like, so spend time just looking at math, like always trying to find more things to like talk about with people, oh, you know, because it's just interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is a really easy area here in the Pacific Northwest to be like interested about. I guess there's just so much to learn about this area, you know, between like uh, like Native American history, the natural history of the area. Yeah, I don't know. It's, wow. There's always more stuff to learn. I feel
0: like mm-hmm. I think it's cool that you get to do it out of an experience that inherently um, gives it meaning right yeah because when you're out there on the river um, there's all this history in the river in and of itself there's the science science behind why it flows the way it flows
2: what lives in the river etc and you get a like rivers change a lot in a year right? they do yeah and I mean even just uh, for example like a couple weeks ago we had that big heat wave and all the rivers flooded out, you know, and like there was a lot of sediment coming down front because of a lot of high elevation snowpack and glacier, uh, a lot of water coming out of, like on the sock, for instance, coming off like Glacier Peak. Mm-hmm. You get all this silt and sand coming down and like just have new beach somewhere like really know, move around and like wood, you know, a bunch of wood coming down the river and well, then... Uh... Yeah, all of a sudden there's like a big sandbar there, that it wasn't there the day before. How what and does that mean like, for you
0: when you're it's, it's interesting,
2: like you're always you oh, know, it's go your
0: toes. You're always yeah. like you See, know. that's the part though. Like you could do the heat wave and you could drive by and see the river and be like, Oh, it's changed. Mm-hmm. But when the change literally affects the direction and the way that you navigate the river, right? Or a new opportunity to stop and like bask in the sun, whatever that may mm-hmm. be. Like that has a really meaningful, more meaningful change, I feel.
2: Um, yeah, and they, I mean, the rivers change year to year, too, especially in this area that, like, the rivers are really young. You know, the Cascades are a very young mountain range. And everything's very dynamic. These rivers are still kind of finding, you know, their path mm-hmm. to the ocean. And so, year to year, they're still carving out. It's not like like the southeast, for example, and the is, like, you know, those rivers are really old and, like, um here they're just pushing rocks and moving silt yeah it changes that
0: much here compared to other places yeah Uh, uh, i think
2: so yeah that's
0: crazy and it's even the sock to think about is like you know what uh completely undammed right yep and that's a big river
2: yeah it's uh it's free flowing and it's part of so there's three dams up on the skagit (laughs) and uh Below New Halem all the way to the Puget Sound is designated wild and scenic, uh, along wow. with um, the Cascade and the uh, and Swaddle, rivers, mm-hmm. which are the largest tributaries. So it's uh, it's protected, and it's all wild and scenic, and uh, they're all free-flowing. So it's really, crazy. really special place. And those are the places that you spend a lot of time rafting, right? Mm-hmm.
0: What's, a, what's it been like for you to spend so much time rafting those rivers, and how have they changed over time?
2: Uh yeah, I mean it's it's cool to see year to year how how much they really do change, and you know it's fun being on on the water every day, like especially like in the fall when you know we're on the river mm-hmm. every day, multiple times a day, so you really get to like pick up on the, like once the colors start changing. You like every few days you're like oh wow like that Whoa. by maple over there is starting to change colors you know oh, and like cool. when you go down it so many times like you really start to notice like the little things that are actually changing where you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell you yeah. just went down it a couple times you
0: know? yeah because the more time that you go down there the more you fraction time right mm-hmm. and this the smaller the slices that you cut time the more distinct and defined that they are yeah because i always see that your resolution increases and yeah. i i didn't realize yeah, that I'd like put that for sure you're um Your sense of like, because I get bored. My whole thing is, is that when I get into trail running, I got really frustrated and kind of depressed for a minute when I would run like the same trail over and over again, because I thought that it was really boring. But we're in like that, nothing changed. Like, it's like, it's the same thing. Every time I hit a band, it's, I see the same thing. Every time, you know, I, oh, it's the same uphill. And then like, if I dread something, I really dread it. Cause now I can dread it for like, you know, right. the whole day until I get there. And then I, I get this thing where it is really, it is truly boring from like, like very mundane from a zoomed out vision when it's Mm -hmm. when it's fractioned um, to big fractions because all that you're seeing there is you're seeing the trail features right which are beautiful Um, you're seeing the views and the mystery around the Bend however when you do start going somewhere over and over and over and over again time will fraction Mm -hmm. to smaller and smaller and you'll start to see the small details changing over time and then all of those same things that would be interest that I found were interesting for me when I'd go to a trail for the first time it was like I was seeing the trail for the first time in fall Yeah. and the first time in spring and the first time in winter. And then even when I'd go in winter, I'd watch, whoa, this is what it looks like when it's beginning to be winter. You know what I mean? So now winter, it wasn't just, oh, now this is what the trail looks like in winter. This is what the trail looks like now. In the beginning of winter, in the mm-hmm. middle of winter, in the end, oh, this is what it looks like in a crazy winter or windstorm, and then I start seeing animals, mm-hmm. and I start, you know, start seeing similar. I start pattern, my pattern recognition goes so high that I, I create a baseline for everything being the same, that when something changes, even small, I notice it.
2: Right, you pick up on all the little things, and, and I you wouldn't just don't notice before. Yeah, because it has
0: to be mundane or it has to be routine in order for you to to see those little insignificant changes mm-hmm. I think,
2: you know yeah for sure and uh, you know it's easy to kind of get burned out in that same way guiding especially when you know you're run three trips a day so mm-hmm. you know it's very easy to kind of get in that headspace you're like ah oh, just another trip like groundhog day you know going through the whole script again and then but then you get in that headspace and you have to remember like you're not there for yourself you're there for for the people that are there on that trip you know mm-hmm. and, we're not there for my own personal enjoyment. Like I'm there to like give these people an experience. So you have to remember that too. So that you don't let yourself kind of get burned out in that way.
0: And does, so does that thinking right that you're here for, for the, for the people you're guiding and not here for your own experience, does that just overlay discipline so that you can dull those feelings or does it, um readjust your perspective and you
2: see the excitement and the opportunity in the moment i'd say kind of both Both. you know um sometimes you like have to kind of force yourself to to see it that way but and then a lot of the times though you're just like i'm just genuinely like excited to be sharing that especially a lot of people don't like i'm very blessed in the sense that I've gotten to grow up in this kind of outdoor recreational kind of focused life and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people that come down the river like this is their one opportunity to do that you know and so this is our chance to kind of give them that glimpse of you know why we do what we do why we're passionate about you know public lands and you know this is people come from the city They they don't understand that this is public land like that you know and this is all of our space and like it's important to appreciate it so that you know down the road we can continue to have protection with it because uh, i mean i mean especially in this area like just like, even, like logging you know it's like if people that don't see this on a day-to-day basis don't really appreciate it, then we're gonna eventually. It's, you know, we're gonna lose
0: it. I see what you're saying because that's the same argument that I had for that that's out there for hunting, and one of the biggest, you know, I'm uh, I really understand it when you look at like mountain goats, right? Because mm-hmm. mountain goats in Montana, for instance, they have a, a thing where you auction um, they auction like tags for mountain goats. And mountain goats are really hard because they have this like. Um, I think brucellosis or some kind of disease, probably not brucellosis, but, um, that they get from sheep huh. and it's super easy for them to contract. So their numbers, you know, from are, like domestic,
2: sheep. yeah, from yeah. domestic
0: sheep. And, okay. and then on top of that, their way that they breed, um, is, is really slow. They're not prolific like pigs, you know, with pigs, it's just, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Cause they have, you know, several litters in a year and all those other things, but not these, um, the mountain goats. So they're in a limited supply, um, but they, they auction off like a very small amount of tags, like maybe one or two. Um, and then you can't get it for another five years or maybe for a lifetime. And they go for almost a million dollars Wow! as an auction. And so I, I look at that and I'm like, well, I don't really see a lot of philanthropic like or there's people who are philanthropists. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's more people who yeah. would bid on an on on experience because there's like. And, you know, you could be like, oh, you're just setting them up for Disneyland or something like that, right? And I would not deduce it or reduce it to that mm-hmm. with this reductionist thinking because I think these experiences are inherently meaningful. Mm-hmm. Because if something inspires you, not you should, but inspires people to to act in that kind of way and give their money away for that or really give their, like, earned resources away for that, mm-hmm. so which goes straight to those goats to – um, for the fishing game, um, to, you know, help the goats or whatever, I don't see any other way to generate that kind of income. Right. And, and like that also with that level of love and affection or inspiration, whatever it is. And, you know, rafting a river and, you know, skiing, all these things are really exciting. And it creates an inherent meaning to that where it can compete with like, not by my um, perspective, but like, like gas resources and, and, you know, lumber, timber harvest, because then they could be like, well, it's this much money for goats and this much money for, you know, timber, and we got to balance that. And I know from people are like, oh, it's always just capitalism and always about the money, but like money is a metaphor for an allocation of resources, right? Mm-hmm. It means that we're like setting our resources aside for the goats because they mean something, or for the river, because it means something like the the logging industry. Because right. for some reason it gives us like... So a sense of meaning and purpose
2: yeah no, for sure and the, you know even if it if those people don't directly have those intentions a lot of that money like especially with like hunting and fishing licenses is going back into that region for protection and, mm-hmm. and you know so even though yeah that not might not be why that person's going out to kill a sheep, but they're Mm -hmm. dumping that money in and, you know, indirectly it's going back to,
0: yeah. And the same for probably for your river rafting because I wouldn't want to romanticize it because I would wonder how many people that you'd go and, you know, and it's not just a, or it's more than a thrill for them, right? Because I imagine there's a group of people where they're just there to have like an exciting experience and they could give a fuck about.
2: Yeah, some people don't care about that. Kind of thing and that's like, well, we you have, have to really like shift again what you kind of talk about what people are focused on some people are just there to have a good time and party and fall in the river or whatever <laughs> they want and some people like are interested in learning about you know the native plant species or birds you know everybody's there for a different reason and you have to try to like pick up on why somebody's there and that's mm-hmm. kind of that's the hard part of guiding i think is really like picking up on why somebody's there, you know, maybe it's like you, maybe somebody's there with their kid that they don't get to see, you know, Mm -hmm. once once a month or whatever. That's their one chance to be there. Um, or yeah,
0: I mean, how much do you, um, how much do you connect with that person for their reason? And, uh, Like, they're, they're, do you ever get it where you, you have a feeling about someone's reasoning for being there, like, you know, criticism or anything like that, or like you want to change the reason why they're there, um, and you either do that or you, um, have to prevent yourself from doing that out of respect for them?
2: Yeah. I mean, you definitely, it's not something you're just like explicitly like focusing on with people either. And how, it's very subtle, you know, like, you don't bring up topics. Uh, you know, you touch it with somebody. And you're not gonna like change somebody's ideals while they're on the water. But you know, you point out one little thing, and you know, try to get them thinking about things in a different way. But you're not gonna just directly say things like that. Yeah, and you're not you're like, oh, why are you here today? And like, oh, <laughs> yeah. to the river. What, what brings you here today? You know, like, you, there's ways to say it and uh, and, like to fish for information like that but like you kind of you don't want them to like really know that you're even doing that yeah it's gotta be very subtle i think
0: i get well and i ask that too because you know you you have your own meaning and reasoning for being out there right Mm -hmm. and then um and i almost see it as like obviously there's particular demographics that would come in and go on the river but you're like facing the general world And, you know, everyone has their, like you said, their own reason for being there. And I always think like, well, how do you interact with that? You know, and how do you, how do you create space for that? And how there's also, you create space, but how do you yourself interact with that space? And how do you either shape it or do you just facilitate the space? You know, and I think about that when I'm with people, period, like in terms of how I set boundaries and stuff, Are the boundaries just for keeping my environment the way that I think it should be necessarily. You know, like, don't hurt me and don't steal from me, all that other kind of shit. Um, Or do I have, like, a direction I want to put this? And oftentimes, I have to keep myself from that to not be self-righteous, proselytizing, to not do the things that, like, I didn't like people doing to me. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a really hard balance, I think.
2: You can't force things on people. It has to be natural.
0: You got to get to know them.
2: Yeah. And it's a, a really good way to, like, learn about other people from all sorts of different of like different cultures or different ideals or whatever, you know. And it's not like, everybody that <laughs> comes down the river thinks the way I do. So yeah. it's like, you know, you learn a lot about other people and then you kind of then learn how to interact with a lot of different types of people to so where it's like, okay, well, just because you don't see things the way I do doesn't mean that we can't have common ground on something. Yeah. You know? And then you find those things to be able to talk with them
0: you know. that's exciting because that's like the river that's always changing right yeah. like every single trip
2: oh yeah you know? three times a day it's different people yeah and i i think if you're not interested in that kind of thing then again it's really easy to just kind of get bored or burned out with it I yeah. you like that i i do like it yeah
0: is that um what draws you to to being a guide because that's not the only thing you could do if you loved to whitewater raft right
2: no not at all Uh, I mean like as far as like a whitewater kayaker like I've you know friends that are really big into creating media or traveling the world and going on expeditions and you know there's all sorts of different ways to enjoy the river Mm -hmm. Um, and I I think it's a really great way to, again, kind of get people to think about public lands in a different way. Like, you know, again, not like with my own personal intentions with every trip, but like in, in a way I th- like to think about it, like every single person that comes down the river with me is like, like, that's another like boat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you're not going to like tell somebody about what to think or what to do, but you know, they come down the river with you and then next time. There's like, whatever, some bill that comes up and they're like, like, oh, okay. Yeah. I remember that time my guide was talking about like old growth forests or something. And Mm -hmm. maybe they'll decide to like cause a change in that way.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, when you go, is there something about whitewater rafting that is inherently exciting or does it appeal only to a certain kind of person? Even on just, like, the easier stuff, too.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think it definitely takes a certain type of person to enjoy that. <laughs> like, it's a definitely a certain type of risk that, uh, I don't know. There's other ways to kind of fulfill your need of excitement or whatever. Whitewater is, like... I don't know. Huh. It's a very fine line of like, you know, it being fun and enjoyable or it being just like really dangerous. You but, know, and so like but, I don't know, yeah. Isn't that
0: part of life though?
2: It is, yeah. Because isn't sure. like everything that,
0: that is exciting, like you're riding that line and if you're not, you're outsourcing that line to a third party. Yeah. Because that's what I, I thought about that when I was white or but when I was going to a water park. Yeah. And I was like And thinking about not just whitewater rafting, but canyoneering as well is another one. Because in canyoneering, there's a lot of, like, um, uh, water slides on, like, you know, rock slabs Mm -hmm. and the rivers and stuff. And then there's a variety of other features you get to do with the pool drops, jumping in, you know, off of a drop into, you know, a little pool or whatever, um, among other things. And I'm like, do you know? And I was thinking about when I was at Disneyland, too. uh, All of these rides are simulating – these experiences that you have in outdoor recreation Mm -hmm. and like there's a a ride that you do where you get on a raft essentially in Disneyland and it carts you through this like you know water like there's the log ride which is a similar one I guess to (laughs) rafting and then there's another one where they actually put you in the circle thing like the Mm -hmm. circle raft and then you sit facing each other and you just go down through this watered track right yeah and it splashes water on you a little bit and so on and I just I think about it and I'm like this is the most like Controlled and you know uh, consumer version of this, and it's great because my son and anyone else without any kind of experience can have this experience. Yeah, for this price, without taking that risk. Exactly, but what I what I think though is is that you have to either have to take risks or you have to sacrifice in order to do that because Mm -hmm. it costs. I know it costs money to go rafting, but I mean if you get into it with the mindset of like or anything like you know rafting mountain biking hunting these things like you could go guided and there's it's important it's a place for that mm-hmm. but if you have the eventual mindset to and or even mountaineering to like embody the skill set right not to be a guide even but just to be functional in that way where you could like hang with a guide for instance or you know show show people it's just that like in between place you know uh then you, you are the person who is able to create safe – like create all those things so you can have that excitement as opposed to paying for a guarantee of the the feeling without right. the risk. But for Disneyland and for a water park, you have to keep going and keep getting it. Right. And you know, it's always going to cost the same um, and you're not going to get any better. Mm-hmm. And the rides are going to remain unless they build a bigger ride. But – you can have those similar experiences in um, in the outdoors, right? And the for them to get bigger or more, of the intensity to increase, your skill set theoretically increases to the point to where in some things it's like do or die, right? But you don't have to go there, right? And you can create like a a relatively safe but risky kind of experience where you can get all these thrills and stuff my thing is i think you lose something with that with the lack of risk yeah i think it's important for people to be able to have the experience and know why it might be important to them if it is because i wouldn't want to go and take you on like it takes a lot of investment not to to money investment to do like a guided trip but it takes a lot of investment to learn something and to develop a skill set five years for sure it
2: takes takes time and like as a guide too, like you're it's all about mitigating risk is Mm -hmm. all we do and we're you know we're trying to create this experience for people where they don't even see the risk side of it Mm -hmm. it's like all behind the scenes things can definitely happen you yeah. know and for somebody you know the difference between going lazy river ride uh, at Disneyland or going out and drinking it on your own is like not only like understanding the risk that comes along with it but like accepting that and mm-hmm. being willing to, to manage that you know and if you don't understand the risk that's involved then you know it's it's tragic honestly like, yes Yeah. It's, I mean it's it's pretty, tra- I like, I've I've done some, like, search and rescue long- alongside oh, the Skagit really? County Sheriff's Department, and mm-hmm. it's tragic. I mean, just, oh, even just the other day, I was helped out with the, the search and rescue up on the Cascade River, uh, upper stretch, past two. Super, super tragic for, for this family, and, you know, it's a big part of it is that they a lot of people don't understand the risk. You can go to Costco and buy a fucking like, inflatable boat mm-hmm. and you know, you look out at a river, you're like, oh, this looks like a nice like lazy river and you go around the corner and there's a log jam, you know. And mm-hmm. So I think a big part of it too is not only that is there a big like monetary kind of barrier to entry mm-hmm. with a lot of these outdoor sports, you know, mountaineering, whitewater, but there's a big barrier to entry as far as like education and you know it's not easy for people to really like learn about the risks involved and it's way too easy to just go out and buy some equipment and go out and get yourself into trouble Mm -hmm. and there's no information that goes along with that for the general public you know like you really have to want to learn about it to know and understand the risks involved
0: growing up in the background that you did though Mm -hmm. did you did you know that as if it were just like a normal thing of of being like if it were like just another skill that you learned as a
2: child um yeah but i mean i didn't really understand it as a kid either (laughs) like for instance like back in when i was in whatever middle school in west virginia (laughs) it's like we'd be hanging out on the river the water's warm you know we'd like be hanging out on a rock and Take our PFDs off and like jump down into these seams and like push yourself down and see how long, like how much downtime you can get, you know. And it's you're like, like, oh, I went under a rock, you know. Jesus. And like, You that's thought weird. it was funny as a kid, but now I'm like, wow, that was really that's worse than squirt Jesus. Like wow, like it was like a game kind of as a kid, but now we're like, wow, we're really lucky. That yeah. We didn't, like get ourselves into big trouble doing that kind of thing, you know,
0: but. So do you do you think that this might be hard but do you think that it's because your aversion to risk changed as you grew older or do you think that you developed a skill set that you were lacking as you grew older
2: um kind of both both you know you you learn how to identify and manage those risks but also after taking risks or having injuries and things, then, you know, my acceptance of the risk I'm willing to take goes down. And then the, the uh, risk I'm willing to take with along with that also
0: goes down. That know? makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Cause your, your experience will shape that as you go. See, wow, wait a minute. You're all, so you're all, have you always been this way towards all kinds of physical forms of recreation? With your risk assess your risk profile, has it changed over time? Is that like in everything, or just this water?
2: No, I mean it goes definitely goes along with with everything, because and it definitely is, keeps shaping over time.
0: Is it is that the same? There's your risk profile in these in these physical, and it's just like you know these things that you do with your body. I suppose that sounds like sex, Jesus, and <laughs> it's like sports. There we go. Um, is your risk profile in these sports the same as your risk profile in social situations? I feel like, did it change? Have you always been as confident in yourself like you are in these physical sports? No, not Does at all. Are? I mean, yeah, that
2: wow. also, also changes. And yeah, you know, you learn how to manage something system. like on the river, and then you can kind of apply that to different parts of life. You know, it's like one thing it was super awesome when, when you're on the river with me is that you were very like curious about how these kind of like risk management, decision making on the river, like how these, how this thought process transfers over to other parts of life, Mm -hmm. you know, because it definitely does. Yeah,
0: And that's where I I was asking about that skill set and your risk assessment and how I look at all the, a lot of our things in life. And I was at that park in the water park and you're not allowed to run. And I think about that. I don't like, it's not that, Oh, how dare they? But I just didn't understand it Mm -hmm. in the sense that like, I know we have legal things, you know, that like lawsuits and stuff that probably preempted that, but everything that we do, we don't, we we are more and more outsourcing our risk assessment ability um, to, to the point where it looks like we're, we're, we're trying to take that away. Like our ability to engage within risk for personal safety, right? Ensuring personal safety for probably good reasons, I assume. Um, But I feel like it's not without losing something. And I even see this as the same thing with the cars. It's like uh, I'm not against self-driving cars, but a lot of the things that argument is, is like how many people we, you know, how many people die every year to driving. And if we have self-driving cars, then we can remove that. And it's like remove risk, remove risk, remove risk. As yeah. opposed to the other thing where it's like, okay, this is how many people die a year. Maybe we can like teach people how to like not race cars, but like like teach people how to be really good at, you know, mitigating right. risk or, or like driving a vehicle with some skill. And, you know, um, but oftentimes we use therapeutics or we use things to defer our risk assessment more and more. And I felt like I would lose that. Or i felt like i was losing an opportunity but my experience to you is different i grew up doing bmx mm-hmm. um, and we'd bmx race and do bmx jumping uh, my siblings and stuff they would they would do like tricks and i would do tricks too but i was always okay i was often scared to like commit i was scared to get hurt right mm-hmm. i was scared like if i were to try to backflip i might die like i would have illusions illusional thoughts in my head <laughs> that would make me feel like I would die. And it was not, um, they are, they are full delusions because it wasn't consistent with reality. People were doing those tricks and being successful. It could happen. I could get hurt, Right. but the likelihood is lower than what I'm envisioning. And when I would go to a skate park, it's the same thing. I go to a skate park now, even as an adult, and I'm freaking out, man. Yeah. Like I might be a little high sometimes. Concrete but hurts. like <laughs> yeah, concrete hurts. <laughs> and it's that's what it is. It's really like
2: cool. six K Park here in Cedar Valley. Yeah, yeah. dude, it's my favorite. My <laughs> son and I go to it all the
0: time. And like you're right, though, concrete hurts. Um, but yeah. also the other thing is I'm like, there's all these like young kids here, and for some reason. I feel really vulnerable and like mm-hmm. really, like really, really anxious. Like I said, I'm a little high probably. So like yeah. I might have that anxiety or whatever as, as it is from that, you know, like the social thing, mm-hmm. but I just get so worried that people are like going to judge me or, and it's not cause it's just my head. It's like delusional, like kind of mental illness sometimes I think. And, um, then I'm worried that if I like even dropping in on the tape, I'm, like, I'm going to get really hurt. I'm going to break something. I'm going to get fucked up. But then I'm like, just do it. And, you know, all these things. And I see these children doing it, being successful at high-level skills. Yeah. And I go and try it, and I am obviously, like, dorky as hell. And most of them, like, would be like, hey, dude, you you do it like this. Or, like, hey, you want some help? Or, like, here's some tips. Or, oh, dude, good job. And I'm like – and I had the same thing with poetry. You know, I put myself out there and with, like, the best intentions and – Most of the time, people are really supportive Mm -hmm. um, despite how risky I feel it is. And I relate that to my, for me, it's a little different than you, but my social and like physical risk profile is about the same. I'm very conservative and anxious from that point of view. So anytime I go into these, I look to my peers and I notice I'm a little more nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, But through my experience, you know, I have that, it's
2: lost its edge yeah um, but and you think that's from like from your own experiences it's made you nervous to take these risks or is it something that's been kind of pushed upon you from like society the way society's built to make you feel like you should be nervous? I
0: feel like it was something that was like for me whatever it might have been it, it's a nature and nurture mm-hmm. so that I'm inherently for some reason, was that way because i've always been cautious and observant Mm -hmm. and then it's also like environmental or like nature because my mom when i was six i would be left home alone Mm -hmm. like after school and i didn't go to daycare anymore um and my mom would be like (laughs) they always do that and she's like don't use the butter knife to cut things you're gonna cut your fingers i was all like you know an only child at the time and she's like you know, don't use the stove, you'll burn yourself. And I got like a scar on my hand and she got all angry at me because it was a second degree burn, but it was really, she thought I used the stove, but it was really because I heated up Topper Almond in the microwave <laughs> and I, it spilled on my hand yeah. and she was so scared. Right. And her whole perspective, anxious kind of person, and very worrisome for like trauma and stuff, mm-hmm. is that like, the world is a very dangerous place. You know, yeah. she, um, she would teach me how to drive, like, or tell me how to drive in the snow. She's just like, just slam on your brakes. And it's like, <laughs> that don't work. And she's just like, I just don't know what to do. So I had to go out in the parking lot and teach myself. Right. The, so the, my, my personal environment is like, worry, worry, worry. And the most like personal responsibility thing that you do as a person is drive a vehicle. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like there is no guarantee, you're no like, you're not, there's no taking care of yourself mortally, right? And there's no like, you don't it's not even from the standpoint that you believe you could do that. And, and then on top of it, all the things that like, like not necessarily media, I don't feel like any of that has influenced me in that way. It's actually um, almost inspired me indirectly because I would watch adventure movies and stuff like that. And I would fantasize about that thinking that that was impossible because Mm. you can't you can't explore new land whatever that is I don't want to be a colonialist but I mean like (laughs) you can't like go into the mountain and be like whoa there's this like here's this mountain I've never seen I'm gonna go climb this route like it's all you can see all the things on the maps and all that Mm. from a very zoomed out kind of view it seemed like all the adventure was gone right and you realize that I realized that I could have all of those in recreational experiences. Things that weren't necessary, but voluntary. Mm-hmm. And that got me closer to things that I was never exposed to when I was a kid. And I realized that I, maybe this is part of me, but I really like to understand what the real boundary is between danger and safety. Mm-hmm. And no one taught me to test that. No one encouraged me to do that. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that wasn't part of the, the, the thinking. But that's my favorite thing, and that's where I derive a lot of my meaning from. To the point to where I like to do, like, cold showers and really hot showers. I have this, like, weird obsession for intensity. When (laughs) I wash my dishes, it's, like, steaming hot. (laughs) I like to see how far I could take it. I'll do, like, yoga on the concrete, you know, with just skin. And, like, you walk on rocks with your feet because it's not, like, stabbing you, but it hurts. But it doesn't hurt me anymore. Cause yeah. i've realized i've been, been desensitized to it mm-hmm. um so that was a long ass
2: circle but for risk um yeah no I, I understand what you're saying for sure you know it's uh yeah you got people you have to learn where that boundary is and it's like you're saying it's hard for a lot of people and in this world it's day and age not... to play around with that boundary and like part of what we do as a guide as a guide is to set up this experience where we're letting people feel like they're pushing this boundary but in like a more controlled manner mm-hmm. you know there's like a big sa- a safety net around it you know and, but and it's like you know in this world people don't want to take risks like you're saying it's just like Okay, well, self-driving cars or whatever—the whole, all, all of society's set up to keep eliminating all of these possibilities of failure, mm-hmm. or, and it's, it's like set up for comfort, you know. And it's like you either try to eliminate all that, or you kind of set yourself up to learn about you, know, like. Mm-hmm. But it it's a lot harder to learn about that boundary in a safe way than it is to just eliminate it altogether. You yeah, know?
0: It's it's hard to learn, especially because their main or are, are um everyone has at least had this experience is the is um general education taught in a theoretical or abstract environment. But not everyone has had an experience where they've had experiential learning in an environment where they've their life depended on someone else. Just right. that's it. They do in the car, but it doesn't feel that way.
2: Um, yeah, but there, should, there needs to be more education around it as well because, you know, they you know, teach this. Like, I was lucky enough to go to, like, Wabaz Kaik Academy, like, we you learn about how to manage this kind of thing in school but for the general public that you don't know then you go to like a saying you go to costco buy an inflatable kayak but it's like you don't understand the risk of putting yourself in it's just they're available for you Mm -hmm. and like there needs to be more education about like how to manage these like very natural risks because I think that's
0: life in general because no matter what we have this thing to where maybe our feel sometimes we might feel our society is pushing us in one direction or the other like you know um back when cigarettes used to be advertised all the time smoke 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 mm-hmm. and like you know um now even like the even thing with like a vaccine like if someone feels whichever way you feel about it but you see like there's a lot like take the vaccine you know and you could say like you could have all these things where like how dare this person try to influence me this way or that way or my society's made it to where you know i want to look you know skinny and pretty or i want to like do wear a lot of makeup or whatever it is but then like also that river is like hey float on me Right. You know what I mean? Like there's like all of these things that are persuading us in all these different directions. But it's within our own self to learn that level of self-regulation yeah. and to where to draw our boundaries and to and that's hard because if we don't do that, well, like we can die. And if the, you were talking about situations that are not so sneaky, they're very severe and everyone else feels it. Or a lot of people in a community feels that when someone dies on a river, it gets lost. But the sneaky ones of overeating for several years and having to get obesity and insulin. Hello. Podcast. <laughs> having um, o- like obesity and insulin is like a slow killer. Right. Because I know a lot of people who have that or even in a, um, are physically like, you know, their knees are going out and they're on, you know, chronic pain medications or every time they get like an, an injury, like, oh, your hips not good. And they're like, what can you give me? Not like what kind of exercise can I do to improve myself?
2: Yeah. And when you don't see the immediate effects, it's a lot harder to change your decision making. You
0: but know? what you do. Not inherently by looking at the river and experiencing it, but by going to a guided, you know, situation or learning from a group or whatever, I feel like you can. It's more palpable, Mm -hmm. like you can really feel the experience and why those things are important.
2: Yeah, you
0: know, Um, because isn't preparation like? Do you do you actually learn the importance of preparation by by learning how to um, how to raft and do white water or are there people in that kind of community who kind of aren't really good at those things, but just do it anyway?
2: Yeah. I mean, you got to set yourself up for success. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to put together a couple hour rafting trip for people, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, uh, preparation is key, you know, and like say with like preventative rescue, like, you know, quite like, like we like to say like the best dress is when you don't have to do, you know, and that that comes from preparation, and uh, so the more you can do beforehand, you know, the less you're going to have to do in the moment, and and that, yeah, it's it's a big part of guiding for sure. And does
0: that ever feel like some nagging, like a kind of perspective, or does people generally value that, and as guides or even just people you? boat with you know personally
2: uh i don't know sometimes it feels mundane you know Mm -hmm. you're like i gotta do this or whatever and but you have to do it and then if you do it well enough then in the moment with your trips the people don't even know like Mm -hmm. you don't you know Mm -hmm. understand like what actually went into putting that together Mm -hmm. and that's when like a good trip because they're not thinking about that you know but for whatever, a couple hours on the river, maybe took two or three times that amount of work beforehand to like create that experience. Doing that in that environment, does that carry over to your abilities
0: to do that in your mundane everyday life with chores and dishes and shit?
2: It does. I mean, I'm not the, no. <laughs> nearly get as good about it as I should be, you know, <laughs> especially if, like working on. You know, when you're tired, you're like, you just don't really feel like doing this or whatever. Uh, I definitely need to apply that same decision-making. Uh-huh to other parts of my life in a better way. I'm sure, I'm really good about doing it in a professional manner, but mm-hmm. when it comes to like my personal life, like uh, uh, yeah, I haven't transferred it all over, you know, but it's le- like, you, you learn over time.
0: Was that hard for you to do in a professional manner though? When you, cause you, I would assume before you did it professionally, you didn't do it at all. And then professionally, you did it professionally. Yeah. Right. Right. Or am I?
2: Um, I mean, I also, I think goes back just to like, you know, the way I was raised, and mm-hmm. like, you know, the life I had. Like I, I definitely had that decision making going into it.
0: Uh, Cause, yeah, I like think about it with my gear and stuff. And backpacking was a good one where I never created a list. Yeah. Like I, I didn't have a reason to. Like I did for like a school project or maybe like a shopping list, but. Man, it wasn't really that important. Like I, like it. I mean that it was. It just did not feel important. Like it was important. You know, shopping list is important. School a list for school supplies or a list to do supply list for my projects important. But it didn't feel important. Right. But when I had like backpacking and that idea of like wait. Did I, do I have a headlamp? <laughs> do right. I have my food? <laughs> do I really have my food? How much food do I really need? Yeah. Oh, my God, I hope I packed enough. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, my God, I packed too much. And it's like, well, how much do you pack? And, like, what am I packing because I'm afraid? Or what am I packing because I really need it? And at least now it doesn't apply to my my everyday life. But I feel like, or at least I like to think, that it's leaching slowly into my everyday life, uh-huh. you know. Like I wasn't that organized, period. And then backpacking and other things like that um, demanded that level of organization just to participate. Right. And um, and then once I practice that, then and backpacking becomes normal. And over time, maybe those skills will leach over into my everyday life.
2: Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the hope. It's funny how it, how it works too. It's, it's like you don't really do things a certain way until you're like forced to do it, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh wow, like <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. Like why why don't I do this uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: every day? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like,
2: okay, well I still don't do it uh, every day or whatever, but you know, and then you but well, then maybe you think about it a little differently, and then mm-hmm. slowly you, you might change. Uh, yeah, thing, you know? and
0: at least you do it, you know, at all. That's another thing that I find interesting, like at least you've exceeded a standard, the standard that came before, Mm -hmm. you know, because I, I even that thing that you said about like, you have to do it. Ultra running was the same thing because I was taught when I was doing projects like here's a month to do a project. Okay, you know, every day or like two days out of the week, you do a little work on your project and then it'll be done. Mm -hmm. You know what I did?
2: wait till the last day yeah <laughs> <laughs> that project was a so shit show to call yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how <laughs> do, man like- I, mean, I don't do it I'm like oh, i have no other choice but to do it now you know uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and i tried to do that through ultra running
0: and it hurt uh-huh. a lot because your body can your body can do anything like you know anyone could run you know a few hundred miles it's just what you do regularly right and then relatively if you do like if you have a week where you ran 60 miles as your peak right Mm -hmm. running 200 miles is still going to be hard but not as hard for someone who like ran 10 miles in a week you know um and it was like a physical thing like i went out there and i didn't Sure, I'd feel the pain of disappointing my teacher and getting a grade and getting a failed grade. But it was kind of easy to be like, "Fuck that! I did not want that grade anyway." And do all yeah. that other shit. But here, it was like, well, I chose like, there's all these things going on in my head. I chose to be here. I mm-hmm. set the time aside for this. I've been training for months and like all these other things, you know. Um, and I didn't have any like, I couldn't delusion disillusion myself to think that giving up was because you know. Cause it was their problem or right. someone else's problem, not my problem, you know?
2: Right. When you put the, the time in yourself and then if you decide not to follow through with it, then it really feels like a waste. You know? Yeah. Like, well, why did I even start in the first place?
0: And all that time, like time, is really meaningful, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, did you, so with the, with the risk assessment, like how has, how has mitigating risk, um, how has that influenced your overall life? Has that poured over into your life at all, or has that just stayed confined to whitewater rafting and guiding?
2: Um, no, I think it transfers over quite a bit. You know, um, we uh, call it like a, a gar risk assessment, you know, like green, amber, red, and uh, based on you kind of come up with like your own parameters as far as like you know whatever on a scale of one to ten like how you know much risk are you willing to take this or how risky is this Mm -hmm. you kind of come up with a number and it's like okay well i'm you know willing to take this amount of risk and then still get away with it and like that definitely transfers over into everyday life um wait
0: what is risk? Can you just define that, like, in because that's Because in, it's interesting that you, you know, you say this. This is almost like this boils down to like probably one of the most meaningful. This is the most meaningful decision of your whole life. Yeah, is your risk assessment because you're saying, you know, what. What kind of quality of experience do I want? How much yeah. is because it's you don't even say you're not acting as if it's like I want to live fifty years and I want to have more excitement in fifty years. You know, instead of living a hundred years more safe but less excited, yeah. it's like on a moment to moment basis. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think it also it is moment to moment, but you know, but at least for myself, like I, I also want to think about like longevity, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I guess risk is a hard thing to define, and I think it's different for everybody, you know, and for for some people, you know, risk could, you know, be terminal death. Or for some people, risk could, you know, like, like a risk for myself is going to be a lot different than for risk for maybe somebody that lives in the middle of the city, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it, it's all relative on your perspective on life and uh, I don't really know how you even define risk (laughs) you you made a thing I
0: even thought about too is like if you're if you're whitewater rafting but you are also a guitar player maybe you're a risk it's not even death now that I think about it too because it's quality of life because if you're like oh if I'm here and if I break my finger then that's might not be worth it because I can't play guitar or whatever because I've had Mm -hmm. things like that to where it's like well if I get injured here I have this thing coming up And that's like not a life or death risk assessment. That's you're doing it also for injuries as well.
2: Yeah. Um, But I mean, there's physical risk like that too, but there's also, you know, like social risk, like what you're talking about, like, you know, maybe you're at you don't want to drop in at the skate parks. You don't want people to, like, see you fall or something. And, like, you know, or you don't go talk to somebody at the bar or whatever, you know, is you're not willing to take this, like, social risk of, like, embarrassment or something. And there's also, like, emotional risk, you know, of, like, you know, like, creating relationships with people or having friendships and, you know, how, how much are you willing to, like, put yourself out there. To, you know, there, there's a lot of different definitely like emotional social and physical risks
0: yeah. when you i guess that now you're just kind of tangent but when a relationship goes south or even in a marriage goes south oftentimes you're really upset with the other person mm-hmm. but the thing is that people are people like you can't really control who that person is right when yeah. there's infidelity or they're like you know they have addiction or whatever that's like them right and it's almost like guiding right in the sense of like that's not your personal thing mm-hmm. but where I think is you're actually really upset at yourself because you weren't able to properly identify the risk profile. Yeah. And you took on a an experience that didn't have the constraints that you were looking for.
2: Right. Right. And that's, yeah, a risk all in of itself for people is not feeling like they're like in control of the situation, you know?
0: <laughs> but I think that... I think that's an illusion, and I think mm-hmm. people can live their whole life thinking that they can control every situation, and that control is comfort, and control is the only thing that they can cling to.
2: Right, which is kind of like going back to what you're saying, like self-driving cars and stuff, Is that's what society's trying to create for people, is this environment where you feel like you're in control, and you don't feel like you're taking risks, and it's Comfortable and convenient, and all these things, you know. And I think that that's just the way, at least with like Western society, that it's trying to create for people, Mm -hmm. which is not reality at all,
0: you know. Well, but I think that's like almost the role of the maternal figure in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And I don't even, you know, like, because I think about that with my son a lot, where I try to embody a maternal and a paternal figure. You know, and like a masculine and a feminine figure in the mm-hmm. sense that like, here, someone gets hurt. Tell me how you do this. Someone gets hurt and, uh, or child gets hurt, I guess. Right. And child will do, there's two things that can be done. You can comfort the child and tell them that it's okay and give them as much love and affection and compassion as possible. Mm-hmm. Try to remedy it with kisses, with, you know, medication, with bandages and all that other stuff. Okay. That will give them comfort and security and all those things things that are very important but you're missing some things because their tolerance for pain their tolerance for injury and their sensitivity those tolerances will go down and their sensitivity will go up right and i've seen this to where kid falls they do this all the time a kid falls they'll look at you blank face mm-hmm. depending if it's
2: They're like how should i react exactly yeah
0: and you and my mom works for people who are physically disabled Mm -hmm. and all of them are food motivated and they're overweight and they're increasingly getting more and more overweight Mm -hmm. and it's like that's all that they do though is eat sleep and basically repeat Mm -hmm. um oh they can't tell them no like because they're caretakers um so what happens is is that they're comforting them because it's all they can do is they can cut that's the whole goal is when someone is a, a Disability, right? Mm -hmm. And they're mentally disabled um, and physically disabled, mostly mentally. But it's like, you know, you just comfort them Mm -hmm. and take care of them. But these people are unhealthy. These people are dying. Mm -hmm. And I I can – a lot of people are in a similar situation, but they're physically alive, but they're dying Mm -hmm. because they're getting – they're just slowly progressing towards death. And I think about that like, well, it's because they can't – you could say they can't work. Right, but I don't think it's that. They're not, they're not challenged. The they don't have something to challenge themselves. Like I even mean, like there's hiking, there's like biking, there's these things that you do mm-hmm. that are difficult, but they're rewarding. And when you take that away and just give comfort, mm-hmm. then you become very unhealthy. Yeah. Okay. I, I have one. Laying down is really good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting is supposed to be not good and not restful, right? I learned this through running um, and some other athletics. So sitting is in a resting position, laying down is, and it's important to lay down and get off your feet to count as rest or else it's still on your feet and it's like training time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what happens if you just lay down and you lay down like someone who's like sick in bed, um, like at a hospital bed. Cause I used to work in a hospital. Uh, you have to turn them. Hmm. And if you don't turn them, they get sores where their skin contacts the sheets or whatever for a long period of time there for so long so something that's really good for you and really comforting and important to do is perhaps deadly yeah I mean,
2: we're, it's, a, it's a risk for somebody else you
0: know? yeah and avoiding the risk creates risk in comfort mm-hmm. and then you're left to deal with risk everywhere and there is no retreat like you retreat so much that there is no more retreat from risk because now everything is risky. Yeah. The monster just grows.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like, you know, to be in that situation. I and like you know, for ourselves, like we're very physically capable people. And yeah. Like, you know, our outlets are physical things. Mm-hmm. And like a big part of that, too, is like when you when you have an injury, it's like it's not easy but like learning how to like have different outlets because you get so attached to these like physical outlets and you're like oh wow like i can't like I, you you identify yourself by those things mm-hmm. and then when those are taken away from you and like oh my god what do i do now you know? yeah. It's like, yeah it's a hard thing I do for sure i think that
0: becomes though that once you have that attachment and your that attachment's taken away you'd often look at it and it's like well how do i provide therapeutics because that must be a hard transition mm-hmm. but i think it's more of an opportunity for growth because then you can learn that you can have all those things and you can be those things not in the physical body but in your mind without actually doing those things yeah because i think about that a lot where like I like to think about what happens if my legs, if I lost my legs and I become paralyzed. And mm-hmm. I like to like imagine that. And well, I don't like it. I, <laughs> I, I very much unlike it. Right. But
2: I, it's important. It's a good me. thing to think about, though, too, you know, and you have to have other ways to express yourself other than running. Mm-hmm. You lose your legs. It's like, OK, well, now what do you do? I'm afraid because yeah. when I
0: didn't have these outlets, I would. Maybe it's just might be me. I crave intensity. Mm -hmm. So I would like do things a lot. I would like eat a lot of nuts. Like, you know, I'd eat like a pound of almonds in a fucking day. (laughs) And it was like, and I wouldn't feel good, but I would, I would, (laughs) they would feel good when I did it. Yeah. And then like, you know, I was sober at the time, but then when you do drugs and it's just just like, do like, you know, just do more than I really needed, you know? And it was like all the time. And, um, I, it's hard because. If I don't act on those things, the mind is still there. That mm-hmm. energy is still there. So what do I do with it? Right. And I see a lot of other people with similar things, like people who are overeating. Mm-hmm. And I just look at that and I'm like, what is that energy? You know, like, what or not, not even like some weird spiritual shit. I just mean like, <laughs> what's that? What's the thing in the mind that's seeking? Cause they're not, you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. And like for nuts, like, like right now i'm full but if you were to like give me some chocolate almonds i'd be like hey wait a minute you (laughs) know or like i don't need drink but if you were to give me something carbonated i would be craving for the comfort and the sensation of carbonation yeah and like what is it inside of me that that craves these things um and it's really hard to just deal with them without some form of outlet right and i feel like my daily needs become the outlet. And that's mm-hmm. why what I'm saying is like you oftentimes look at these people, with the physical disability, mental disability, and you're they cannot do things like I can do. Right. But often the case, it's like, well, we just as long as you're fed and as long as you're taken care of. And it's like, I don't know, because I don't because I grew up in this environment mm-hmm. and that didn't work for me. Like very desperately, it didn't work for me, and the people around me didn't seem like what they were doing was working for them, mm-hmm. because they had all these other habits that seemed very self-destructive. They like always going out to the bar every time, drama in these relationships, you know, all these things, and it just
2: was very confusing. Yeah, yeah, I it's hard to pinpoint like what drives. You like need something like that you know but it's everybody has it and it's like I don't know if it's just like human nature or if society has created it for us but it's like you know that I think everybody has this like addictive personality and Mm -hmm. some people have like a physical outlet for it some people have like maybe the drug and alcohol outlet for it or food or whatever but it's like I think it's the same kind of Mm-hmm. trigger in our brain you just have different ways to express it you know yeah and, and if you don't have that then it is easy to turn towards like food or drugs and alcohol or something mm-hmm. and that the same thing is like if you get injured and you're like okay well if you don't have now you don't have this physical outlet that you identify with then it's way easier to just switch that in mm-hmm. your brain to like okay well now just like drink a lot or something you have to have ways to let that energy out mm-hmm. without it going towards indulgence, whatever, unhealthy type of indulgence yeah
0: because i even think about if you were to go whitewater rafting excessively mm-hmm. like it would not be as consequential as still probably would be in its own way um like if you do it really obsessively Um, It wouldn't be as consequential as alcohol, or it wouldn't be as consequential as, like, even cigarettes are pretty neutral, but cigarettes. Like, I know they hurt you, but I mean, they don't, like, you don't get aggressive with it or you don't, like, fall over and break shit, right? Yeah. Like, um, I even think about that with drugs, I talk about that with my son a lot, is that I think there's a risk profile of drugs, Mm -hmm. because if you, the cigarette thing, once again, you're mainly hurting yourself, there's a lot of health issues with cigarettes. (laughs) Marijuana, mushrooms, acid, all this, et cetera. Alcohol has a higher risk profile than even heroin, I would say. Yeah. Because alcohol is the one that, like, if you, you know, if you become uh, addicted to it, or not addicted to it, if you become dependent on it and then you come off, then it has, like, it could kill you. Right. But if you come off, you become dependent on heroin, and if you get off, it's like a really hard flu. Yeah. and obviously if you get it on the streets and fentanyl and that's it ups the risk profile pretty substantially yeah. but we know we don't have a fucking conversation like this because it's just <laughs> like fucking drugs are bad and they're gonna put holes in your brain and it's right. like can't you just tell me like how much is gonna do you know like how much alcohol creates dependency for you know roughly or like how much alcohol does it take to get a hung, hangover yeah you, you know what i mean like it, and that's where i think you're m- missing the mark just like with sex mm-hmm. and because there's this thing in life that is – it's inevitable. Risk is literally inevitable. Right. And you try to, like, stamp it out. It's just going to keep cropping up just like assholes. Yeah. Like, if you try to, like, <laughs> you know, make sure that we're never going to have assholes and, like, no one's ever going to hurt you, Josh. I Then promise. you become an asshole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and then everyone becomes fragile.
2: Right. Because then no one knows how to deal with, you know, an asshole. Right. And it, Yeah. comes back to, like, education. You know, like, as simple as with the kid, like – yeah, how much is it okay to drink or do whatever? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can't just tell people to never do something. Uh, because then if they do, then it's even more risky because they don't know how to manage it.
0: Yeah, yeah? Mm-hmm. and and then you, um, also the communication, which I think is interesting. I learned in like rock climbing um, this, like, are you okay? Like, mm-hmm. you, you are you okay to do this? Are you feeling okay? We just hike two hours to get back here. But if you don't want to do this, we can go hike the two hours back, man. Right. And for me, in my little narrative, it's very hard to do that mm-hmm. because like, I have fear of disappointment, you know? Yeah. And whatever reason that is, it's the fucking way it is for me. Mm-hmm. And rock climbing is like the easiest place to work on that because I'm so terrified in the situation that it's more terrified than I'm afraid to disappoint you. So <laughs> yeah. I want to go back, please. <laughs> and, and like, that's been very therapeutic for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like at the end of the day, um, you know what I think the biggest thing is, is that it's going to be very odd. Sorry, male lady is sex <laughs> <laughs> because sex is the biggest one. Because if you were to take all risk from everything, this, this, person to person, the social risk, mm-hmm. and this very physical risk, especially if you're like um, a diminutive man compared to another man mm-hmm. um, or a woman to a man, right? That like, is this person gonna hurt me? Are they gonna force me to do these things, right? Yeah. And you learn how to develop that risk profile when you meet someone and when you're moving forward mm-hmm. and you refine that. I would like to think that we can't really change that very much, what's going on in that, in that place and that communication because that's going to be very your guys's individual experience, right? And I don't really want to get me and everyone else involved in like this is explicitly where you draw the line. Like you can if you have sex when you're drunk, then it's rape. And it's like I don't really like like from my perspective I'm like I don't I don't think it's always like that, mm-hmm. but I think that we should help people because obviously there's some issues going on here. Right. And um from that standpoint, I look at it like this. Like Okay, we, we can further and further get in to ensure the safety or we can make something like martial arts, more like a jujitsu, right? Um, something that's more accessible. We mm-hmm. can have, you know, women or, you know, people of that sort of like we could teach it in school. Like right? we can make it a sport in school and, this, and we can actually teach people self-defense. Right. Right. And then with the self-defense, then they have a skill set mm-hmm. to apply to keep themselves safe. And you can apply that to, you know, everything else. Um, and I think it's something that guides, though, are almost keyed in to provide. Because I think that, especially in these intense sports, that guides are the ones who've specialized in risk and mm-hmm. mitigating risk. I think almost above all other, um, like, service experiences or experiences that people can be a part of.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Right
2: yeah i mean that's that's the point of going on a guided experience is that you're passing on that risk to the guide to manage for you Mm -hmm. you know it's like you're giving them that baggage kind of like here you go you deal with it i'm paying you to deal with it you know because they don't want to think about it Mm -hmm. that's the whole point of going out with with a guide
0: do you Okay, here's one. In your guided experience, how many people actually come to you wanting to think about it? Or how many people, and how many people do most of them just not want to think about it? Or,
2: um, I don't know if it's like, uh, like if they think about it or not, like knowingly, you know, I think, uh, like, but it does happen like yourself. For example, like you come out and you're like, like I'm on this trip because I want to learn about how to go down the river safely on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, some people go out they they just don't even know that it, there's like risks involved with mm-hmm. it. So they're like unknowingly giving that risk to oh, the guy. Wow. You know, uh, I was taught to fear rivers, terrify. Like my mom always, we were swimming
0: in rivers. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. So I had I just. It's so hard for me to under to remember that people see the world in in the potential risks way differently than I do.
2: Yeah, and you know that's a hard thing too. Like after, you know, if you have experiences where like you know like helping with like a search and rescue or something that doesn't go well and then it's like it's super easy to just be like, like just stay away from the rivers like don't even fucking go out there you know but it's like it's not realistic and it's like okay well how do you educate people how do you make the education more available to people to make good decisions on their own so that you don't have to be with a guide every time you know because
0: uh, is it um, from your perspective do you see it's viable to be in a world where people are introduced to things guided and they go out on their own as a majority, or do you think it's more realistic that most people are going to go guided and not have an individual experience?
2: Uh, yeah. I think, you know, nine times out of 10, people are going to just go with the guys, but there's that one person that it's like, you know, okay, well, you want to pursue this further. And I think it's, happening more and more especially after a covid yeah and things like outdoor recreation it's huge you know people have realized obviously how important it is to go because that's great outdoors and like it's there's there's always going to be people that want to go out and do it on their own and that's an important role as the guide is like okay well, maybe you're only with me for like a couple hours but how do i set this person up to go about it on their own and make good decisions you know it's
0: hard for me to sift through whether or not i walk in the same path of a certain archetype or if i just am in a certain developmental place in my life because when i did my trad course it was the same thing you asked uh, my friend and i my friend was wanting to get into trad climbing but he's Mm -hmm. like do you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, I want to do that because it's cheaper to do like a one to two as opposed to a one-on-one mm-hmm. and the, we had the guide for two days and he said, so where do you guys, so he taught us the stuff and then he's like, where do you guys want to go for your climb? I can take you on something really epic, mm-hmm. like lead you guys on it or you guys can swap leads and I can shadow you but it won't be, you know, like a crazy kind of climb but right. it would be really easy. We took that one because it was like, I'm here for I want to learn I I want to know these skills and I looked at like mountaineering was the same thing like I've always like looked for people to teach me what they knew so that I could like I can understand what was going on and I don't like I said I don't know if that's just like me getting introduced that and that's my personality at work Mm -hmm. or if like yeah I don't really or if that's just a natural process of being a person
2: I don't I don't know yeah, I don't know. I don't think everybody thinks like that. Because I'm like obsessed hope hope about hope that. I guess. Do. But it's like you know, it's not not every day that somebody comes down the river with that mindset. Yeah. And know, it was like what well, was very appreciative when you came down because you're like, no, like I want to learn how to go out and do this on my own, mm-hmm. but I want to do it in like a conservative way and like you know, like kind of crawl into it. And, yeah it's honestly it's terrifying thinking about people not taking that approach yeah yeah you know, it's like the last thing you ever want is somebody to come down the river or go on a climbing course or whatever and then like oh i took a course and then you go buy some gear and then they go get themselves in mm-hmm. trouble and it's like it's terrifying honestly
0: and even more so is the other i'm just curious about the kind of person who would go and just be like oh, that was really fun and never understand how to do that for themselves and other people. Yeah. And, like, not as a criticism of those people, I'm just very confused on that. Because it's, like, it seems so, not just so important to me, but, like, it's where I derive all my sense of meaning, I guess. Because, you know, I, just having the experience of taking someone to go climbing and they've never been there before. Like, I went mountaineering, like, you know, a few days ago and I just bagged, like, some no-name peak out of the um, the Mount Baker parking lot. And we were going to go up Mount Herman, but uh-huh. we were like 500 or 600 feet short. And my friend was getting like real tired, you know, and I'm like, uh, I don't want to take him on some third class, more third class moves while he's getting tired on me. Yeah. And so I'm like, OK, we'll just go up to this other, you know, this no name summit up here and we top out, and it's his first summit ever. Um, and I I realized that that's my favorite thing i really love to like just anyone doesn't matter who mm-hmm. to see them in this experience and to like see how they deal with it and, and yeah. what it means to them and how they encounter these different fears or if they're confident there and like i've always been that whether it's like i wouldn't advise this for anyone with like psychedelics but with drugs too or it's like you know, you know um I haven't taken this. And it's like, were you sure? And it's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're gonna see what happens. Here, Here we go. go. Yeah. I and mean, I'm always like, oh, this will be really interesting. you should be a guide. Yeah. That's what I get to where it's like, okay, maybe I'm just like, that's the thing that I'm really, you know, really into. Because I, I even love when you go on these experiences, I see, or I think I see, how certain things relate to overall life. And I see their personality expressed through that. And I like, love talking to people how they internalize that in their experience and i find it interesting that even i guess even if you do go on this trip and like you go rafting down the river and they don't get into like you know how not even how to do it themselves but like um how to keep themselves safe in that environment and be mm-hmm. personally responsible uh, even if they don't do that they go home and that is memorable Right. like that experience. Right, Like, nine times out of ten, I imagine, it's explicitly memorable for people who go down. They don't go down and just be like, that was,
2: Yeah. That's. I up. mean, you'd hope it. I mean, you'd hope, hope it's yeah, memorable. I would. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's, I mean, got to put on a good good trip. Yeah. You want people <laughs> 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 to remember it. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Like,
0: but how much of that has to do with you and just the river
2: itself? uh, uh I think it, it depends on who's in the, who's in the boat. Mm-hmm. Some people, you don't have to talk. The river talks for itself. And some people, you know, especially now, I think after the pandemic too, a lot of people are there just to have, feel like they're connecting with somebody or something, you know, maybe they're not out there to go down the river, but they just want to be around people or they just want, you know, to feel like somebody cares about them you know and it's like that's bigger than ever now after the the pandemic people have been socially isolated for like a year you know and it's like people are just like craving a connection and whether it's like a connection with the outdoors or a connection with another person or whatever
0: what do you mean to connect with people what about whitewater rafting lends itself to connecting with people socially and emotionally
2: um because i mean you're you're in a boat with other people like whether you're there with family or we put you in a boat with another group or just as the guide connecting with your guide you know (laughs) and like from the moment somebody shows up to run our trip and it's like like welcome you know like thanks for coming out with us and like they're like oh wow these people like actually care about us and Mm -hmm. you know i think that makes people feel good like
0: is it the same kind of relationship that you would have this is a little bit hyperbolic but I'm just being serious about this. Is it the same kind of relationship you would have in like a, like a, a party on an adventure? like even though that you're a guided experience and stuff like mm-hmm. you're going to go do something that is out of their element and you're really a part of something like you're a community mm-hmm. does it really feel like that? Like your social relationships, do they feel different in that environment because of the experience itself? Or is it the same as going to a bar?
2: Um, no, I think it. it's different for sure. It's like, you know, like if you're going backcountry skiing or if you're going my word kayaking or something, you have like your crew and you're like, it's, it's definitely a different social dynamic because you're with... Like, you know that your friends have your back and that they know that you're there for them as well, you know? And, like, you need to trust that they're making good decisions. And so there's definitely a, a different dynamic there. Could you I
0: think. get that dynamic outside of, like, not just whitewater rafting, but your outdoor adventure sports?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's – people get that dynamic from anything. Maybe it is just going to the bars with your friends. Maybe that's the extent of it for some people. And – like it's kind of a, this perspective thing you know like maybe for us it's going out into the backcountry, and that's where you get that connection with people but for some people that aren't into that maybe it is maybe it's going shopping maybe it's going to the bar mm-hmm. and, you know well,
0: what if though going to the bar and going shopping was had an overlap with other kinds of experiences mm-hmm. not whitewater rafting right but like what what if you could you could put certain kinds of experiences into little um, containers Mm -hmm. and that some experiences would share the same container. Yeah. Like I think about that with drugs a lot in terms of running and stuff. And I know you get like the endocannabinoids from from running um, with like weed, but like... Um, when I run a lot, my, my desire to smoke weed goes down a lot yeah. and it's interesting because I'm just someone who has a natural tendency to smoke weed. You know, like I really like to get high, like, that's just like <laughs> you know, and like, but and I find that weird sometimes and sometimes I feel, you know, with siblings that have addiction issues and dependencies and like meth and stuff, it's like what's the difference between me and that, you know, and, and also me in the past, like what's the difference, what's overuse and where do I draw these lines and all this other stuff. But when I, when I go running, like I I feel like, well, I don't, it's not conceptual. I just notice that I don't use weed as much. Yeah. And um, but maybe I get the same similar feelings that I do, mm-hmm. you know, from those experiences. And I've had someone in rock climbing, this is fully anecdotal and not saying mushrooms is rock climbing, but he's like, yeah, I used to like take mushrooms a lot. And, like, it's Brian Bordeaux, and he set a lot of routes up in his ammo. Um, huh. And he's like, yeah, ever since I've been going climbing, though, I just don't really have, like, a desire yeah. for psychedelic experiences. And I'm yeah. like, oh, really? Wow.
2: And he's like well, – he, Maybe he's looking for something that, you know, you, and psychedelics was an outlet. He's doing – But then he found a new way to kind of express that need.
0: And a lot of his climbing is, is in first sense. <laughs> and I like – and I think about it myself because psychedelics is something else as a kid that I was very interested in. Like, I would drink. I overdosed when I was a kid on um, – I had alcohol poisoning and I overdosed on a bunch of pills and stuff that I took, but I was like 12 and that wasn't Mm -hmm. like, I want to do all the drugs and die. I was like, I'm awesome. And I can do more than you guys who are like 20. Look Mm -hmm. at me. And then like, that obviously doesn't work in a kayaking sense that could get me killed. Yeah. But if you regulate it, that can help me push myself a little you know what i mean push yeah. myself to greatness maybe in something right but in drugs like it's gonna kill me or something deadly it's more likely to kill me right <laughs> um but it might be useful somewhere else yeah a little bit regulated so uh, it didn't work for me there because those people left me in a ditch yeah so i confronted the risk i went overboard in my risk this is how i'm starting to see it um and when i was in peril no one was there to save me Right. Because and the only person that was was someone who's doing volleyball, hmm. you know, at the some other game that was unrelated to what I was doing, um, and those weren't the people that I wanted to be around.
2: Right. Um, damn, I forgot. Yeah, where I was going. Then you gotta. I mean, same idea of like going out on the river in the mountains. Like you gotta have your crew mm-hmm. if you're gonna go eat a bunch of mushrooms or something, it's like you yeah. gotta have your crew. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. know? Like, oh yeah because you can't afford to just be left in the ditch. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you gotta know that your friends are there for you. Yeah. And like especially with psychedelics I think too, you have like you have to know that who you're with is like gonna be there with you, you know? Yeah, that's,
0: <laughs> and that's where I had a thing with like psychedelics in some senses is it would um I've had greater I've had greater success with psychedelics than I had with alcohol and with certain other like um nascent pleasure drugs. Mm. Like not like MDMA, but more like like I think I took like Laura tabs or whatever. But it was like like we're like in that party kind of thing. And when my psychedelics I've never really like went to raves and did psychedelics or did ecstasy. But like I've always just either did them alone mm-hmm. or like very infrequently did it with other people which I would advise people to do the opposite (laughs) Um, but um, when I was with other people it was always had this sense of like reverence and fear because I knew that I was going to lose all sense of control
3: yeah
0: and with the people um, it would test my relationships in that way you know and, and even being under the influence if it wasn't fun, if it was a challenging trip, it would test my relationship. But being on certain other drugs like alcohol and weed, honestly, uh, and coffee, alcohol, weed, coffee, cigarettes, and uh, I don't really know about heroin or meth, but um, those things that I'm familiar with, those don't test my relationships. Yeah. And I think about these other experiences, like there's certain experiences that test your relationships. Do you find that going playboating with friends on the river, does that test your relationships? or build them, strengthen them?
2: Yeah, for sure. You, I mean, you learn a lot about your friends and people around you. People are a lot different too in that in a professional environment versus just like a recreational environment, you know? And it's like some people that I'm like super good friends with have a good time, we fucking go have fun, do whatever, might not be fit to like work alongside me in a professional yeah. environment and the same thing goes like some people I work with that I fucking trust 100% to do like good job might not be the same people I want to go out on for fun you know oh yeah and
0: so where do you source your community from if it isn't from your
2: professional work um I guess I don't know I I think living in this area, it's pretty easy to find like-minded people that are interested in the outdoors and That's how you connect with people. You know. Yeah.
0: Outdoors and music? Yeah. I think so. Uh, I did find that here. The difference between living in North Idaho and here, there's some groups in North Idaho, but like there's groups for everything here and there's people I almost see, I shit you not, for every single one of those, there's at least one person every day if not the least, once a week, but every day, like, hey, I'm going to go run laps here. Hey, I want to go clean a climbing partner. Mm-hmm. And that, um, there's that's the way that I learn to connect with people because professionally, you're right. Like, What works for me professionally, I don't, first of all, I don't always want to fucking see the same people that I see <laughs> professionally. <laughs> yeah. and then like right. You got to have other people to hang out. I find <laughs> yeah. that all
2: the time working. And it's like, okay, well, I have to have, other friends that I don't work with because that, like, as a manager, too, it's like, okay, well, I can't tell you what to do all day. And then afterwards, like, sit down and have beers and laugh about it. It's like, yeah, you got to have different groups. You know?
0: And I heard that from a friend uh, who used to live in Russia, and he said, it's so hard here because, like, without your communism or without communism. I was like, Oh fuck. And he's like, when I have, whenever you have to move over there, you have to use your name, you know, you gotta, you rely on your neighbors mm-hmm. and, and stuff because there's no moving services. And uh, it's like, and whenever, you know, you need something, you, you build relationships with your neighbors yeah. and you, these are where your friendships and relationships come And here. Like, you know, I have my job and I come home and I go to work and you know, I don't might not like anybody there, or that's my professional place, and I have no community. And I see, actually, that we have the opportunity for some of the most deep and richest, fulfilling communities within our culture, mm-hmm. like more so than other forms of economics, because um, because of the what you do, mm-hmm. and because of what like a martial arts gym does, um, and it's that. Imagine having a community not based off of your location with mm-hmm. who your neighbors, which it's important to, that's a part of your life, right? Have a relationship with your neighbors. And then not just because of who you work with. Those are things that are pretty hard to change. Yeah. But what if you had a community that was based around something that you
2: were in love with? Right. No, I know we do. It have that opportunity in this culture to build our life around these ideas like that, I think. Especially like, you know, in the summer when I'm guiding, it's like everybody that's surrounding me, work and friends, they're like, they're we're all there for the same reason. Same thing in the winter, like I spend my winter living up like in Glacier or Mount Baker. And it's mm-hmm. like, everybody's there because they want to be waking up for pow days. And it's like, everybody around you is there for the same reason, mm-hmm. you know? So it's really easy to build a community that way.
0: And I think it's based around challenges that have very positive or can tend to have more positive consequences than just going out for like a drink or just going out to like smoke some weed. Mm-hmm. Like I like that as like a, as another thing overlaid on it, but not as the main focus,
3: mm-hmm. you know, because these things
0: like if you focus on whitewater rafting or skiing or maybe painting, those have such depth, right? That over that you could spend your whole life doing that, mm-hmm. and you only you improve, right? Mostly, right?
2: Because you can't get any better at drinking beer. No, you can't. In
0: <laughs> fact, the more that and you the drink, more, drink yeah, that, the worse it gets. It's, so. And that's the ironic thing that I have. Is pretty good at drinking beer, but you know, it's
2: not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right, it's like you know the less you move, the less you can move, and, yeah. and stuff like that. And that's where I think it's not just intrinsic to our society. I think it's a reflection of the human predicament of com- of the persuasion of comfort you know and the in the risk in the risk that's that's in front of us and that's what i was meaning by like earlier that we're like we're, we have all this maternal like um, our society is heavily influenced by like this maternal kind of personality or this or, you know femininity and not in terms of having to do with i'm not talking about women or any of that i'm talking about like comfort and, and mm. kindness and compassion. And I'm not saying with the dichotomy of, you know, of pain and suffering and hatred. <laughs> but, like, it's, well, actually, yeah, to be honest with you. And is to deal with those things that you don't want to deal with, which is, mm. like, type 2 fun. Like, if we were to really say that, like, our whole society is based off of, you know, that, that comfort, safety, and security. And it's something very important to have. But then there's this other thing that's very hard to define and is almost is like a paternal influence and a masculine influence, which is in everyone, right, to varying degrees. And it's that, like, when you fall, it's encouraging, like, oh, well, blood will, like, oh, how's it bleeding? Okay, it's bleeding, but the blood will, you know, the blood will dry. We'll make sure that I won't get an infection. You'll be fine. Like, that's pain, but the pain's temporary, and you know that you're not mortally wounded. So yes. we can keep going. And, like, I'm tired, you know, and it's like, okay, we've stopped 10 times in 30 minutes. Like, no, we need to, without malice, right, we need to keep going. Mm -hmm. Or, like, if you're in a raft, I'm really cold. It's like you can get blankets or you can get, or not blankets, you can get something like put your layer on. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm really cold. Like, there's a reality where, that you have to face. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all balance for sure. Uh, Like, you have to be. Comforting and compassionate, but you also have to be like pushing the sense back. Like, okay, well, great. Here's a you know blanket or, a, or another layer. Mm-hmm. Like, but we have to keep going. Yeah,
0: because you know? it's like even if you don't, because even if you do that for your clients, mm-hmm. don't you like even if you if you were just comforting and you're like I need to provide you with the most enjoyable experience. So everything I do is making you feel good. Mm-hmm. Do you then, in that process of making that reality for them, can you exist in that same reality yourself? Or do you have to make sacrifices of discomfort and all that other shit to make it happen for them? You see um, what I'm
2: saying? Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's definitely a sacrifice. And we are trying to create as much of an enjoyable mm-hmm. experience as you can. But part of it is also taking people out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and it's definitely a sacrifice. Like, we're not there. As a guide, like I'm not there for myself, like I'm there for that person, you know. So a lot of, sometimes uh, it is suffering, yeah. You know, like, but that's it's what like, I mean. Yeah, but I'm not here for my own personal enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I'm here. For this guest, this person's experience, you know, and you have to remember that and separate it.
0: So do you have that same mindset when you are pursuing a goal that's really important to you in your personal experience? Let's say you're rafting a river and it was like really challenging or something Mm -hmm. and you were having a hard time committing or seeing it through. Like, you know, because when you're rafting a really challenging river, I don't imagine it's always comfortable.
2: No, I mean... The river can be scary as shit. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's kind of that boundary of which type of fun you're having, you know? Wait, what does <laughs> that
0: kind of fun feel like?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's For you. similar to, like, you know, being on a, a hard climb or, like, you know, be like, wow, I really need to set this piece of gear and you're like, fuck, I'm like like 10, 15 feet above my last piece of equipment. And it's like it's kind of a similar can be a similar feeling. I wow. Think. Yeah. Is that like excitement and like fear mixed? Yeah, for sure. And it's learning how to uh, like manage that fear and excitement because you have to same thing with climbing, like you have to stay so focused and in the moment that it's, it's like that on whitewater that if you let yourself get distracted by what's going on outside of you then you know you lose focus and then you might not make a good decision or not make a good move you might start panicking your heart rate goes up you know whatever and then it's like okay well now you can't make that move and then you can get hurt or something you know
0: what about that experience? Do you like? Are there certain feelings that you feel that you have not been able to get anywhere else outside of those kinds of experiences?
2: Um. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like kind of meditative in a way, you know. It's like keeping yourself in the moment and calm and focused, and like it's not easy, but I think everybody has a way to like get in that mind space mm-hmm. and like it just happens that white water definitely like it forces you to go yeah. into that that uh-huh. <laughs> space you know
0: yeah and does alcohol does getting drunk feel anywhere similar to that headspace
2: um not not at all i not think it would all. be like the complete opposite, not completely opposite. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, yeah. like if you go get when you go get drunk or something you're like you know, trying to like forget about things or not mm-hmm. be in the moment, yeah, know? I see
0: see, I always wondered with because you have like the chatter in your mind or the distracting thoughts mm-hmm. right that like pull you away from the moment, and um I always wondered why I was so disturbed by being in the moment mm-hmm. and like why those thoughts would take me away. And when I would run, all of that would go away. And I would just be right here, right now. And that feeling is such a feeling of deep inner peace. Yeah. Like, and when I go and climb, I feel something similar too in the moment, but there is this weird buildup. Cause like running, there isn't this buildup. It's like this long sustained and over time, left foot, right foot, right Mm -hmm. over time, you drop into this place of timelessness to where I can run for five hours, but for some reason it's like no music, nothing, not because I'm trying to, it's just because it's too much fucking chatter sometimes. And that five hours feels like only an hour. Yeah. And when I'm done, my like vision's like not normal. Like it's, I can see things, but like things are crisp and like clear. Huh. And, like, my whole body feels just relaxed. And then when I talk afterwards for hours, maybe even the whole day, I, like, will take me a few seconds to respond after you've said something. Yeah. And when I go climb, I feel feel like a similar place of peace. Mm -hmm. But I feel all these other range of emotions inside of myself that, you know... I don't know if I've, like, experienced to that level or I don't know if I've experienced them at all. And I like to go back there because I get to see that part of myself, like, open up. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to open it up otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing is, is when I go and climb or when I run, those things are really hard. Mm -hmm. So to get to the place where I want to be, I have to work hard. Mm -hmm. And whenever I work hard, my body changes and my mind changes, even if it's a little bit. Mm -hmm. And when I do drugs and when I eat and I'm trying to get to this place through those things, mainly, I suppose, the more that I do them, the further that gets. Yeah. And I have a lot of people in my life who struggle with different kinds of substances or different, you know, lack of exercise or overeating. And I think about that a lot where like... All we have to do is eat an amount of calories every day and drink water and go to sleep. Yeah. Why is that? Like, it's just it's so hard. Mm-hmm. But there's these things that are fun to do that open your awareness up a little more. And I don't think it's just these specific things we're talking about. There seems to be other things like I, or you know, with drawing, to draw you have to. Um, you learn that we don't see place see things as they are. Right. Like if you if you see something close up, it's large. Mm-hmm. And if you see something far away, it's small. Right. So if you draw something large and low on the page, it is close up. It actually is. And if you draw something small and high on the page, it's far away. Right. And if you draw diagonal lines going towards each other to a point, you know, higher up on the page, it looks like it's going depth. Right. And you realize that. Um, you get an awareness or of how the world works and mm-hmm. shapes. I learned that when I go on the snow. If you go on a white snow slope with no trees, you have no depth perception, <laughs> and if what looks like it's not that far is really, really far. Yeah. And I like, I'm like, whoa! I got to experience an optical illusion physically because right. this Mount St. Helens doesn't look that fucking tall, <laughs> but it goes on forever. Yeah. <laughs> um. And we talked about that, something similar with fluid dynamics, Mm -hmm. about how kayaking or whitewater rafting seems like a way to physically feel fluid dynamics.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's like, yeah, it gives you a way to understand that physics of it. Like, normally you wouldn't know, like, you know, you can read a book or whatever, learn about it on paper, but. Being in the water helps you understand like how it's working, you know, in a real way, mm-hmm. and you can feel it, you yeah. know. Which like with air, you can't see it, but it's doing the same thing. But in water, you're like, oh wow, this is this is how a fluid
0: works. Mm-hmm. You know? And just and the thing is, is water can be tricky in that way because just because you could see it, it could be like, well, I see the river. What's more to it?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. But when you start getting in when you get into the water then the your awareness of what it's doing is even broader mm-hmm. and i think it, it's more interesting to why like why eddies develop mm-hmm. and you know why currents develop and it's like which i think theory is important but from that perspective it's like this is why we need to um, protect the forests because when trees don't go in the river then there's what there's no river bends. And then there's also no snags or whatever for the fish to hide under. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, the fish species go, the fish go down, the water temperature goes up and all these other things. And like that could just like meaningless, abstract information until you find somewhere like I like to raft this river. And I look like I look forward to rafting in spring. Like I wait. And I wait, like, I mean, I know people who wait for the winter to yeah. come and how much snow falls actually means something, you know, they're not like, Oh, I got a low snow year. They're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm already
2: waiting
3: for
0: winter. <laughs> see what I yeah. mean? No, <laughs> oh, like that's not, yeah. you can't teach that, man. Yeah.
2: Like that's you. No. And like, I good I think like what you're saying too, is like, you know, a lot of people that maybe come out on rafting trips like yeah they can learn all they want and in a book or whatever in school but until they're out there in person and see it in real life like you know that's when it clicks like, mm-hmm. oh wow this actually makes sense to know. wow
0: and um you've you've rafted some pretty intense rivers man like some class five stuff
2: Um, not really, like, rafting Uh class five, but kayaking. I'll go kayaking kayaking, class five. How's that, like, what's that experience like? Um, kind of similar to, like, you're saying with, like, climbing. Like, you, you just have to be buried in the moment. Is
0: that, like, a high consequence thing where if you fall, like, no falls or can't fall out kind of deal?
2: Yeah, class five is... The classification system with rivers is more about consequences than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you're in class four or five whitewater, it's yeah very high consequence. So the moment you get out of that headspace, you could things can go wrong very fast. Yeah. It's like a no fault zone.
0: How much of that has to do with your headspace, like your ability to make it out safely? Has to do with your headspace or just chance?
2: Oh no, for sure, it definitely has to do with your headspace. Headspace. Wow. Like you have to have the skills or whatever muscle memory, so that you know you don't you don't want to be thinking about like the paddle stroke you're taking. You know, like you don't want to have to think about how you're taking the stroke. You just do it. Just like guitar. Analyzing everything around you in, like slow motion, and it's just like. Happening, but there's no time to be like, how do I, you know, make this move? Like you just kind of do it and like full commitment. You, yeah, it's very committing for sure. You I realize like, the rivers don't stop either. It's not like skiing where it's like you get to cliff and you you're just like oh, I'm. I'm gonna stop. You know, like in a river in a big rapid, like you're just going. Like, you know, like it's wow. it's not. You have to catch an eddy to stop uh-huh. on the river like the the water's it's very different from other sports in that like you know biking the ground stands still you're moving across the ground skiing yeah. you're going moving across the ground like when you're on the river the ground is moving with you uh-huh. you know so it's wow like,
0: well, and so the four or five is continual rapids with little eddies with not many eddies right if any at all
2: Yeah, and you get like complex rapids that are long. There's multiple moves to make as you're going through a rapid. Do you have have what you call like a must-make move, kind of similar like a no-fall zone type of situation where it's like you know you have to be here, you know? Yeah, it's
0: what about that appeals to you over things that don't require that don't have that level of consequence, like a class three or like a class two
2: um you know I, I don't know it's like a way to push yourself i guess it's uh i don't know why it's fun like, yeah. it, it, it's also fun to just go paddle yeah easier by water and go have fun and play around and there's always you can always make a easy rapid more complicated by like catching different eddies or like taking out a different boat and that you can play around with or something
0: so I have this thing with weights. It's similar. It's that you have a thirty-pound, like a thirty-pound kettlebell or whatever. And mm-hmm. one thing that you can do is, is instead of like the na- the main thing is, is always like increasing the weight, right? Mm-hmm. So you make it heavier, so then it's harder to lift. Well, why not make? There's that's actually one way to create intensity. There's a bunch of ways to create intensity in this constraint of like this the one experience you're doing, which is lifting a weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, hold it away for, do more tricky things that, uh, apply more, less mechanical leverage. Right. So yeah. then it's like physically harder to move that same weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, use less appendages, right. Um, things like that. And by doing that, it's not wasted time because if you're not improving the weight, you're learning something else about the experience, Yeah, you know, um, so I would imagine that if you were to get into whitewater rafting and you were to take it to this high level, there's always gonna be that value of doing the what the easier and the mellower kinds of things, right? Yeah,
2: for sure. I think you
0: have to have, you have to do all of it. I've seen people doing backflips too, and like on um, playboating and things like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this looks like <laughs> so so cool. crazy shit. <laughs> I didn't know you could do like aerial tricks even just even like that. Even on flat water, I don't know if it was a squirt boat that they were doing it with. Uh, but they were doing like
2: tricks on the flat water too and i was like whoa that looks so cool yeah there's a lot of different different styles and different uh types of kayaking and disciplines you know there's slalom boating where you're going through gates there's play boating where you're doing tricks and waves and stuff like that there's creek boating you know big running big big volume white water or you could be running waterfalls Mm -hmm. or things like there's a lot of different aspects to the
0: sport you know so that's where i wonder that like i mean not everyone's going to make it their number one priority but there's a way for it to be engaging and meaningful to probably almost every kind of personality even if you included like you know you're using rivers as a way to like explore an area and forage or to learn about the wildlife or to fish through the thing like that's what i feel like you know we talked about cardio but like the thing with my son is is i have a he has to be involved in like at least pick a ritual or a recreation or things that he likes that are in the outdoors mm-hmm. he could do there's all these other things he could do too but this it's important to at least have a thing because then he there's a sense of meaning and a sense of value to have public spaces so he can be an advocate going forward. And it's not because of what I want. I believe that there's so much offerings of a of different variety that it's not that you don't like this because you don't like to be in the water. I think that this was either just not the way that you like to be in the water. So it's like, how do you like to be in the water? You know, mm-hmm. um, and like, how do you like to descend a mountain? Like there's a lot of different ways to go down a mountain and a lot of different ways to go up a mountain Mm -hmm. where I feel like the difference between person to person is, is what they get out of that experience. Mm -hmm. I have friends who like to go up. I love to go down. (laughs) I have other friends who just like to camp and be up there take photos, you know, like there's like a way to let the individual be unique in these experiences that I think like hunting for instance, is I don't think anyone shouldn't be like a vegan or whatever, or, I don't think everyone should hunt, but everyone did do that yeah. at one point and that there was a way to express, like, maybe you were a weak ass hunter, but you were a tool maker, <laughs> you know, but that was still part of your life. Yeah. Like, and I see these things still where I want to include everyone and I want to know what they think of, of being out there. Um, damn, I should be a guy. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, <you> should, like, <laughs> come work for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if only someone you guys just watch my kid. You got a dog yeah, I heard yeah. Your dog can watch my kid. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and then so uh, oh, another one that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, rafting the Middle Fork of the Nooksack
2: because that looks sick. Oh yeah, yeah. The, so, uh. You can't really take a uh, raft in the middle fork, but oh. like in a kayak for sure. Yeah, or a kayak. The middle fork's cool. They actually uh, just uh, removed the dam on oh, the middle wow. fork, the mick That's really cool. Uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Does that mean
0: that it opens up a lot more boating in that area
2: or just changes uh, the flows? The boating is going to be the same, but it opens up um, spawning grounds for salmon upriver. Oh, it does? So yeah, that's a big place that's for... That's pulled it out. Yeah. Oh. So it's kind of... Kind of interesting, so they used to have the mill in downtown Bellingham, mm-hmm. and they had a pipe coming down from Lake Whatcom that they were generating hydropower with, Whoa. and then to replenish the water from the lake, they blasted a hole th- through the mountain and d- were diverting water from the middle fork of the Nooksack to then dump water into the lake because I, they were pumping it down to power the mill. I didn't
0: know they were and, doing and,
2: that. And Whoa. so it, it's been out of commission for you know a long time now, so they finally removed the dam, uh, which is is really huge for fish. And mm-hmm. that's a big reason for fish. That's so, great. Mm-hmm. and Which is cool because I don't know if you've done Like, that's how you get up to, like, to, to go do, like, the North Twin. Yeah. Or like that. So yeah. I'm going to go do South Absolutely. Twin this weekend.
0: Cool. Awesome. And, and that's a big tributary for, is it a big tributary for salmon then, coming from the Middle Fork? Because I know the Nooksack itself is, like, a humongous river system mm-hmm. in this area you know because it has what three forks and they yep. all kind of feed off of like the glacier system there and like mount baker and stuff mm-hmm. right and um in the northern fork is that that one's not damp north and south fork aren't dammed at
2: all right um there is a a small dam on the i get on the north fork above uh Nixack Falls. Oh, there's a small little hydro project up there. Oh, I see. Um, but other than that, I mean, that you have an exact Falls, so that's a dam mm-hmm. yeah. barrier in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh, can get up there, <laughs> <laughs> things huge. Um, but yeah, that taking out that dam is, is huge for, for fish. And Washington is pretty, uh, what it's
0: 130.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm so
0: sorry, man. Cool.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah. We, yeah. did you think it was? I don't know. Is this yours? Yeah,
0: you what can take is that it? in. What is it? I don't know. Ah. It's the kettle. Is it a kettlebell? Mm,
2: no, a uh, water kettle. <laughs> oh, water kettle. <laughs> yeah. so I, just, uh, I just got a couple kettlebells and I did, uh, just this like 20 minute youtube video the other day and he kicked my ass oh yeah I do that <laughs> yeah. Bad. Dude, kettlebells
0: are so hard yeah, too uh, man
2: uh, uh.
0: and i love them because the kettlebell as a, see that's the thing is as opposed to like what, how i do like barbell things in the past mm-hmm. is you have to have all these plates and so you know you could lift one weight and then you add the plate and then you know lift another and add it and it's like that's a lot of shit to keep around right. and a lot of things to carry with you if you can't train like out in your front yard or whatever right out of your house. Um, but the kettlebell is great because you can get something and it can be really hard to do certain moves so yeah. then you have to like work up to those to be able to get there uh-huh. and um, and I think it's fun like that because then you can develop a relationship with it you know like yeah. I have one in there it's like 50 pounds and wow. the 50 pound one it's like I used to have to do a thing where I had to like uh, they, I think it's like a jerk where you have to like kind of not jump, but like do a little jumping motion to push it overhead. And now I can do like static presses with it easy. Uh-huh. And like, well, not easy, moderately, but <laughs> I can stare at that. And that that's like a, um, a rune or a tome or a, a reminder for self-worth mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh yeah, look, you like, you had this, you couldn't lift it overhead without hopping a little. And now you can lift it overhead strictly you know, and slowly and smoothly. Like uh-huh. That's a good word, man. Like,
2: yeah, you're seeing progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've, I'm not. Never been like super big into working out or anything. It's something yeah. I try to do sometimes. I'm mm-hmm. not very good about it, but yeah, I got got some kettlebells and I just
0: try to. Mine was like um, I was really into like martial arts and doing these kinds of things uh-huh. and being with my with my son, that's like the filter through almost everything else, you know, cause it's the responsibility that's always present. Um, it was easier to prepare for everything mm-hmm. because I couldn't do everything as much as everyone else did because I was always home, you know? Yeah. So then I could just get into working out and stuff. And what I found out was like, do you like to work out? Like, did you, did you have fun when you did the kettlebell?
2: You I did anything at all, What? any kind of fun? I had fun doing it yeah because okay. I mean because I want to do it I want to mm-hmm. get into it more but
0: did you feel did you feel good when it was over yeah for sure like sometimes I get when I do something and I try <laughs> to do like 100 kettlebell swings would be an example because there's like I don't know if I get, like it's just a thing for me where I was like 100 that's kind of like a lot it's like it is a lot man even no matter what weight it is it's hard to count to 100 without stopping to be honest with you uh. um now imagine like doing 100 swings and then if you're not able to do it and you're like that's too hard um then you learn like it's not exercising it's it's like it's self-improvement and learning expectation because then you learn like if you couldn't do 100 and you did 50 and it's like oh i hold myself to too high of a standard Mm -hmm. right i have to dial this back and then you do you know you might do 100 and you're like i'm really sore Oh, I push myself too hard. Like there's uh, exercise is just like doing these rafting experiences and stuff. It gets you familiar with a certain part of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think the fitness, like, because fitness used to be my goal, um, but it isn't Mm -hmm. for me. Um, Fitness is just a consequence or a symptom of my behavior. Yeah. And the exercise in and of itself, it fulfills something else in me in that way. And it sounds really like, I don't know, hopefully not pretentious, but it just makes me feel really good. It mm-hmm. helps me with my like anger or my frustration or sadness. Yeah. Um,
2: that's an outlet. Yeah. It, like really it, it, a healthy outlet. Yeah. Maybe. Some, to some people, it's healthy. Maybe not for other people. You well, know, that's like- what I found out, though, because <laughs> I got
0: injured and I was crying because I couldn't use my body in that way. And I was like, I'm going to have to rehab these body parts. And then I'm going to have to get back to where I was. And I was like, Oh, I just became so attached with my identity mm-hmm. that now I have a little dysfunction. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, I miss a workout or I like, and I'm like, ah, ah today's not going <laughs> to be a good day. And it's like, well, that didn't matter 10 years ago. Right. Why does it matter now, man? You know, um, the, the, yeah, I saw you a video of you kayaking, and I thought it was the Middle Fork, but you were kayaking like this little box canyon.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's on the Middle Fork. That, so
0: when you're rafting these rivers, you're getting to the places where a lot of people don't you don't see, except from that perspective, right?
2: Yeah, definitely some of these places that you can only access by a boat, wow. by the water, mm-hmm. and it's like you get to yeah, you get to see the world in a, a lot of different way it's good if you couldn't access it by the river so
0: and another thing that just in closing that I forgot and I really realized about your familiarity with the river and it having a sense of meaning because so I kind of like glossed over that but it's a real thing because we we so we live like in Skagit or Whatcom County right and there's um there's the what the sock uh, what rivers do you run here recreationally
2: um recreationally well so as far as commercially guiding we run the skagit uh the sock the skycomish and the Snoqualmie. Mm-hmm. and uh, recreationally i spend a lot of time on the Nooksack, um part of the cascade uh, yeah that's that's mostly where i have
0: you developed a favorite or a, uh one that you really like that you look
2: forward to um yeah i mean there's I mean, there's just so many so many rivers i look forward to kayaking yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah. and, and, and every river is different there's yeah so is there a time of year
0: that you look forward to to run those rivers
2: um springtime here is big. Washington's cool because we have kind of two runoffs because we get so much rain in the fall mm-hmm. that all the rivers come back up where a lot of places you only get kind of your spring melt off from the snow. Um, so you can run run rivers most of the year around here, which is really cool. Do you think you're in the minority
0: or in the majority of, of people in the state who have just even been on the river even once? Um... You know what I mean? Have most people had at least that experience?
2: You know, I think it's becoming more popular for sure. And I think in this region, people are pretty outdoor focused, Mm -hmm. but all in all, I think it's more of a a minority of a thing of a way to, you know, enjoy the outdoors. It amazes me because on a yearly basis
0: and perhaps even on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. for those spring and fall, you develop a familiarity with those river systems Mm -hmm. because of what you like to do even just out even just recreationally right for fun Mm -hmm. that um people most people may never experience with anything else other than their home and their place of work. Mm -hmm. and that's not to denigrate anybody but to look at the opportunity that we actually all have Mm -hmm. and what's more is with the proper training and guidance going into it for everyone at one point one day those are all open and public Mm -hmm. I think about that with climbing all the time there's and not like I said with the training and things like that and reverence like even hunting like it's a permit and just go the fuck out to public grounds. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like climbing. It's like buy a book. You don't even got to buy a book. You can go on, download a free app. You don't even get a download mountain project. You could, <laughs> you could research online. You could just walk up and see bolts and be like, hey, you don't have to ask anyone's, uh, yeah. we don't have to ask anyone's permission. You don't yeah. have to like nothing. And people are sometimes are like, Oh, but it's like, it's an experience that is not made for you. Mm. Like the river didn't make itself for you. I know people clear, clear shit out of the way. The, um, like blowdowns and stuff, but the rock didn't make itself for you. I know people trundle things for safety, but it's it's, just there. Yeah. And it's not like, (laughs) it's it's not selling you an experience. If you go down this, you're going to develop your personality. It's like, here's a river. If you, you might die or you might live, you need to, it's up to you to make this situation safe and to mitigate risk. And the Mm -hmm. same for the mountains, same for ultra running, all that other shit. Mm -hmm. It's so different than this consumer society. And I think it's something that is, um, is a really positive potential in to complement consumer
2: society. Yeah, I hope because sure. I, it's a good way to balance around people's everyday life.
0: Yeah. Cause I think it at least helps, or I would hope that these things bring out characteristics in a person that would help steal them Or prepare them for all of the other threatening pressures in life, you know, Mm -hmm. with real consequences. Not like they sold me this or, you know (laughs) what I mean? Or like, the cake's just too damn good, Becky. (laughs) It's like, like, no, my friend fucking died because.
2: It's very real. Yeah.
0: And honestly, things were becoming less and less real. Mm -hmm. Is there anywhere people could find out more about you?
2: (laughs) Find out more about me. Yeah. Um, uh, or you yeah, got you did, um, Check out my Instagram, Joshua Cedar. Um, I work with Triad River Tours, uh, and uh, I'm also working with uh, SSI Swiftwater Safety Institute, helping do uh, swiftwater rescue courses and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah.
0: Do you think anyone could, um, if anyone were to take a swiftwater course that anyone of a yeah any person could develop those abilities to keep themselves safe and then help other people
2: oh for sure i think these types of courses are huge as far as educating people to to do these on their own to to be safe out there
0: i just wish someone had if you offered like one thing Mm -hmm. right there's like all these different kinds of rescue things that are tied to fun like tied to things you do but also rescue things if a school could just like every student as one rescue course. Comes yeah. out with one rescue certification, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah. Thanks, man. Woo! Thank you guys for listening to episode 160 of the Becoming Human podcast. It was awesome to be able to talk to Josh about his experience as a guide on um, whitewater rafter growing up with that perspective it'd be wild to be able to go to a school where you get to you know adventure and learn general studies and about the whole world through something you're passionate about um and it's also interesting to me that i find that those things don't fix everything that mostly you're kind of like um hmm I could relate to somebody who's had an experience that I would maybe romanticize or wish that I had um, more than I would have imagined. And and that is the most uh, exciting thing and almost disappointing thing at the same time. Disappointing in that you would hope that there's the grass is truly greener on the other side, it, but exciting knowing that when the grass is not greener on the other side, um, exactly where you are is enough and that means so too for you i love you bye there is a way out of this passage just
2: can't think of a way out of it god is your enemy I know, I know. I,
1: I, 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 I got to think less. I had a thought, actually. You have to let go. Let go? Let go of what? Let go of you. Let, of you. let of you. I mean, think about it. What have you done for you lately? I,
0: I have you. you. have to jump in. Jump in back on the scopes? No, in the water. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. The river?
1: Yes, jump in the river. Jump in the river. Jump in the river. We're all born into this river without knowing how to swim and eventually we'll leave. we learn how to keep the water under our chins sometimes this river's so cold to be in my soul solidifying my skin regardless of how far I see I never see my travels in we're carried by the current being driven by the wind the scenery we pass we'll never see again so we store it up as memories and don't let go of them we're under a spell thinking that the river should go straight we set goals and desire to control our own fate but all the pain we experience is a result of our expectations cause it's the river's nature to twist and turn the shit can burn and I know it I have the same conflict But I try to sit and flow With this river's natural process Sometimes when I watch myself Flow downstream I see the beauty of it all And it feels like a dream And at that time I appreciate the river's course Some call it God Reality, momentum, force I stare up at the naked moon as she stares down at me Outside thoughts boundaries, I'm all I look outward to see The universe is not something separate from yourself I know you feel alone, but that's why I'm here to help I know you feel alone, but just look up at the stars And everything that is out there is what you really are We gotta learn to see the beauty in each moment of life Everyone has different paths and we're seeking the light The world is divided between heads and two kings But the truth is everybody's looking for the same thing Now I want you to know the role you play, part of the whole Without you it couldn't be, and I mean that with compassion So if you ever need anything, I mean anything at all I'm here for you All you gotta do is ask me I'm here for you In the same way that you hear from me Each person is an intricate piece of infinity I feel like if you could see what I see Then we as humanity could be free for any self-centered reasons, Because existence isn't independent And all's related, connected is different manifestations of one single mind You ain't isolated from the world Even though it feels like that sometimes I see the hurt when I look into your eyes How you struggle to hold it and keep it bundled inside It tries to go play deep in my heart It makes me wanna cry So I offer you a hand to help you wash away the rainy sky. I'm running out of words But I haven't yet made my message clear So if none of this makes sense I just want you to know I'm here As a musician, as a friend, as a teacher, as a student To grow and realize that everything's in constant movement Each problem that we face is just a part of this movement It seems hopeless, but if we stick together we'll get through it and return to the essence from which we've been uprooted And wake humanity from these illusions The second you can look into the sky and see your own reflection You know you're headed in the right direction The river ride ain't always smooth, but with it I live And everything is Perfect just the way it is We gotta learn to see the beauty in each moment of life Everyone has different paths and we're seeking the light The world is divided between peasants and kings But the truth is everybody's looking for the same thing Now I want you to know the role you play part of the whole Without you it couldn't be, and I mean that with compassion So if you ever need anything, I mean anything at all I'm here for you, all you gotta do is ask, man I'm here for you, all you gotta do is ask, man. All you got it, all you got it, all all you got it, all you got 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 it, All you got it, all got it,